And welcome to the Movies in a Podshell podcast, the podcast which takes one great film and couples it with a classic movie from another era. We've definitely done that this week. Nailed it. This week's pick, Jurassic Park. Yep, you know the song. Um, I'm joined as per usual by my co-host, the Johnny Saurus Rex. But you can call him John. That dinosaur sound was horrendous. It was like uh, I was doing a the flying one. What's the flying one? The uh, pterodactyl. Ter, that's a, that's a pterodactyl. I was doing I just, pterodactyl. You've just made me remember that when I watched Jurassic Park, you don't see any of the flying dinosaurs in the first one. You, the flynosaurs. Uh, yeah, that's the technical. You don't see any. No, you don't. No, you don't. Um, that is the technical name. That yeah, I've I I don't remember seeing any of them. Oh no, do you? No, I think you do. So the bit where. He stands oh, up the in the long car shot, and he looks. Yeah, exactly. Oh my yeah, god! So I think I, think I literally watched this yesterday, and I already am questioning myself if I saw any flying dinosaurs. But anyway, there we yeah, go. Yeah, we'll get the Jurassic Park police on on us, and that's the last thing we need because it's quite a a prestigious film. Everyone loves it, don't they? Apart from you. Well, <laughs> and we'll get into that. But we, before we, we before we get there, Jamie, what have you been watching this week? You're asking me because I've watched loads. Um, I'm going to take up your your portion of the pod as well. So I've watched nine films since the last pod. And the re- I know that sounds insane. The reason why that is is because, one, I've been off this week. Two, we recorded the pod three weeks ago because, like, obviously you had a, a little peek behind the curtain. We were very busy at work, so we just had to smash one out. That's it. Um, so I'm going to just talk about the films that I really loved that I watched. So... Um, I watched a film called Class of 1984, which has been on my list for ages. Uh, it's a 1982 film by Mark Lester, who you might actually know. He directed Commando, um, Showdown in Little Tokyo. They're the ones of note. It is a classic film. It's a bit like, a, if you know Dangerous Minds, um, a film set in a school where there's gang- gangs of kids and stuff. Like I guess they got the idea from Rebel Without a Cause, that kind of thing. It's uh, really, really good, like crazy like the ending is just it goes in goes places you never expect and you realize why it's an 18 it's absolutely wild is um, it quite violent? really really violent like okay. the, the ending is ridiculous I, i'll tell you after the part i don't want to ruin it for anyone i would highly recommend it though because it's just loads and loads of fun um i then went to the cinema for the first time and i watched godzilla versus kong have you seen that yet, John? No, I watched... I think I spoke about it fairly recently on the pod. I watched the one before. Is it Kings of Monsters? The one. King of the Monsters, Did yeah, you watch yeah, that yeah. one? No, I've not seen that one, but I did see Skull Island, um, like, just before I, liked, I watched Godzilla I liked that Con. one. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Like, actually brilliant. I don't know why there's it was not spoken about more, but... I saw that um, in the cinema, and it was kind of... Uh, it came out, but it, was, it felt almost like it wasn't as promoted as much as I thought it would have been. If you know what I mean, it just kind of I loved it. snuck Absolutely under the radar. It. I I enjoyed that the Vietnam vibes, everything. I thought it was it was well yes, done. Yes, it's almost like like an exploitation film, um, in yeah. in many ways. Like I I absolutely loved it. Um, so then I went straight back to the cinema, um, because I yeah I've just missed it a lot, and I went to see Nomadland. Now Nomadland was, I really really loved it. It was it's so good, and I I understand I completely get why it won the Oscar. Now I'm not going to bother going into everything that everyone else has gone into. Yes, it's a gorgeous film. Uh, yes, Francis McDormand is amazing. Um, it's just really, it's, I, I sort of seen it as a, it's like a study of like the human spirit 
Um, it's a really beautiful film and I would recommend, highly recommend it. And do you know what? If you're a bit mental, you can pair it with Badlands from 19, the 1970s one, which is another one of my favourites. It's both in South Dakota. Shout out to Film Forager, who's from South Dakota as well. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely worth it, yeah. Um, I was going to say, actually, uh, Badlands, did we talk about that on the pod or did we just, did you just give me that to watch? I lent you. I just, yeah, I just uh, I just thought we'd done an episode of it. Um, Badlands, I really enjoyed. Ter- oh, God. Ter- Terrence yeah. Malick, right? Before I say anything yeah, yeah, else, Ter- I get it Terrence wrong. Terrence Malick. Yeah, really enjoyed um, that. City Spacek. Really interesting Martin use of... We talk a lot about soundtrack on the pod. Really interesting use of that um, that main track. Oh, it's like... Man. Is it is it Xylophones or Glockenspiel? I don't want to say it wrong. Uh, but I don't know. It's that... It's a true romance people will know it from as well. Yeah, it's like a real carefree piece of music used in a really juxtapositional sense because it captures the youth... And the innocence of, um, please remind me of the actress's name before I embarrass City Spacek. Of her character, whilst also yeah. juxtaposing the horrible violence of her partner, who is literally going on a spree. It's it's literally one of my favourite films, and I, I'd really recommend it to anyone. I, th- I think it's a beautiful film. What I, I absolutely love it. Michael Sheen is brilliant in that film. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he is. Yeah, just yeah. I, I don't know. Of I hadn't seen many films when Michael Sheen was in that era. I mean, I'd obviously seen Apocalypse Now, etc. But I hadn't. I felt well, maybe Badlands is more well known. But to be honest, I hadn't really heard of it until you told me about it. I'm not going to ch- say anything otherwise. And it was really cool because it. I, I can't remember. Maybe it was a Criterion on Blu-ray, but there was a book with it as well. It was, yeah, Criterion. Yeah, yeah. so I had a good had a good read of that. So that was cool. Yeah, and that's beautiful. Um. Then I watched, um, definitely in the similar vibe to Class of 1984, I watched The New Kids, which is, um, yeah, it was uh, Sean Cunningham, uh, 1985. There's the sirens I, again. I almost uh, said, oh, here they come again. Love it. But, you know, so someone said to me that they, they can never hear the sirens on the pod. Lies and deceit. Because I hear it in the edit, but then they say they never hear it in the pod. I don't know. Um, may- and, of course, I don't listen to my own podcast because how self-obsessed would that be? Uh, John. (laughs) (laughs) I may listen occasionally. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? If you need to pick me up. (laughs) This is what I have achieved. Um, (laughs) Anyway. Great. (laughs) So The New Kids is great. Um, It's about like a brother and sister who go to like standard small town um, that's like full of, yeah, more gangs and stuff. Just like this kind of thing, like street gangs, like terrorizing people. I feel like it all came from Rebel Without a Cause, which we covered yes. in episode three, I think. So there you go. Um, went to the cinema again to see The Unholy. It's garbage. Don't see it. Um, I did watch. Um, we do. We have one of our new listeners, um, Kate, uh, actually, t- like she's got on a full on. Well, she was on a full on Scott Adkins uh, run. And so I was inspired to watch a film called Avengement, which can i just say is wild it's very much like um hard man oh have you like he's been in prison he's had his teeth knocked out and he's he's back for vengeance um avengement he's back for um really good fun nuts violent i'm guessing extremely violent as soon as, a, a man... soon as you gave me a brief description of that i was like it's gonna be super violent listen a man gets bites the stairs and gets his no 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 that's enough yeah, yeah. for that is it worse teeth. than American History X? Uh, oh, no. No, nothing's worse than that. That's... that's Yeah, American History X. That's probably what's put me off at all these things. Anyway. Absolutely harrowing. 
Um, so then, uh, oh, right. So I must talk about this. I'm going to talk about this last film, um, The Big Heat. So The Big Heat, um, film noir, uh, 1953. Oh, my goodness. One of the best films I've ever seen in my entire life. Directed by Fritz Lang. Um, so we know Fritz Lang from M. So he directed uh, yeah. M, which we paired seven with. We did. I believe. Yep. Um, oh, my goodness. So... Uh, indicator have released that on blu-ray it's unbelievable like honestly i've got a few questions for people who listen to the episode on m they'll know what i'm about to ask did he run out of money so he couldn't do more scenes with sound again or did he manage to <laughs> have enough budget to do it all with sound no this is far this is much later on in his career <laughs> so no because i remember um, so for those who don't know at the time when we watched um uh there were parts of the film and people were like oh it's so artistic when the director chose to just completely drop the soundtrack and not use sound read up on it and it was just literally the fact that um they didn't have enough money back in the day for the equipment required to have sound throughout the whole film so it was just not not there in large sections. It was fine. No, it just made no, me laugh. No, it, it worked. It oh, made it work. It, jokes aside, it was unreal. It really did work and actually adds to it. But I just love the fact people are like, no, it's a directorial choice. And I said to Jamie, 100% budget, 100% budget. And it was. <laughs> um, so um, The Big Heat is, it's a your classic kind of film noir setting. It's uh, basically, there's a, mur- uh, a man, uh, like a cop's, a cop's wife gets murdered by accident. So there's a bomb in the car he's it's supposed to be for him but his wife gets it and then it's pretty much him taking on this crime syndicate there's some scenes in there that i would never expect to see in 53 like honestly so um glenn ford is the main uh character in it he so you might know him from superman um and he was in 310 to yuma which is a big film and then you've got gloria graham um who we know her from in a lonely place another one of my favorite films and she's in it's a wonderful life she's in loads like glory Rams, like huge back then i just it's I, I need to lend you it johnny um i it's one of the best films i've seen in a very very long time loved it the big heat i was gonna ask a question does that car have a long one take in it or am i getting it confused because the bit you've just said about the bomb it's reminding me of another film similar era. the birds what no <laughs> what no the birds oh the birds has a blown up car I mean, yeah, but not not quite what I was going for. I just thought you might be on about the birds because you love Hitchcock, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Never mind. Okay, all right. Feeding that. Okay, in. cool. Any, well, well, there, there we go. <laughs> then. That. Anyway, um, that is that. We so yeah, no, it doesn't have a long take. It's just it's a car blowing up and it's yeah okay. horrendous. But the film is unreal. So everyone should check out that. I may John, try. Here and, I am. I was, huh? I was about to say I might try and borrow that off you actually. You need, you will you will I've been reading my film noir book as well like a geek good um, yeah so I, that's that's really good sorry to nerd out but Tash and books are just the best aren't they yeah you bought me yeah I mentioned you on the pod before yeah you bought me one for Christmas a Stanley Kubrick John dare I ask what you've been watching have you been watching anything I know you're very busy I've not watched much aside from the films for the pod but I am very excited because I ended up watching one of the sequels because I couldn't wait so I actually watched The Lost World as well which is not did you yeah I did I have oh, such no way. I have a real soft spot for that film because uh, oh no me too I prefer it I very the Jurassic Park yeah what <laughs> I do that's it, wow I just do okay that's bold um all i was gonna say was as a kid i remember when i used to uh play with toys and stuff i used to always like the lost world more because it had more cool things so there's a sequence when they're chasing down all the dinosaurs in the wild and they have the jeeps and like the the seats come out and then and they're riding along i remember that toy oh you didn't 
I didn't have the I toy. Did, yeah. I made my own toys, mate. I was making them out of cardboard. But anyway, uh, that sounded far worse hard, than it had to. Hard, hard upbringing. <laughs> no, just, just, I used to have a making box with like all cardboard stuff. I used to love making oh, things. Ma- wow, what a making box. Yeah, so it was just like all cereal boxes and stuff like that. And I would always make like the USS Enterprise because why would you make anything else out of cardboard? So I just made them what all the, the time. What the hell is that? I've never heard of a making box. Is that yeah. a thing that children had? Or no, it was literally, mom and dad had a big like cardboard box filled with all the recycled cardboard and I would just like make stuff all the time, like spaceships, aeroplanes, anything. Well, colour color me impressed. Well, the point, the point being, I don't know how we've gone this tangent, but the point was I used to love making the toys for stuff like that and I loved, remember there's that trailer, the, the really long trailer which has got the bit in the middle and it hangs off the Is cliff. It- yeah, oh, that, so I just that, love it. That scene, me, yeah. the tension in that scene with the glass yeah. cracking. Do you know what? I'd say we say for the pond the other day. We're never going to come back and do the Lost World, are we? Let's be honest. So I no, just, we're not, yeah, no. I absolutely loved it. Uh, so that was really good fun. The glass cracking scene. So so many films have copied that since. Oh my god, yeah, like I, Mission Impossible, like, like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I say so many films. I'm like Mission Impossible, like yeah. one one film. We, we, we I know loads of films have copied it, and we established that it's probably a copy trait of something else, and that's fine. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's what I've watched. Aside from that, I've watched a bit of TV. I'm still getting through Invincible. I'm really enjoying it. I've got to a very major point where something happened which I didn't think would happen in terms of plot reveal. Uh, oh yeah, okay. What, what episode are you on now then? Uh, five, maybe six. I mm, how yeah, many are there? I've, I've, really I've not watched much at all since last pod. So yeah, um, but no, again, no, it's another superhero thing we're talking about. But Invincible we have mentioned on the pod before is a uh, graphic novel which is now it's kind of it's not an anime style is it it's, it's more just like interestingly our, our friend pb friend of the pod was actually complaining about the animation style of invincible and i was really surprised I was surprised at that yeah i was surprised i don't know if it's trying to look like the 80s x-men cartoon as a stylistic choice or if it's just being done i don't know what what did you think uh no well i i well you you mentioned quite aptly that it was maybe tried is based on like a Saturday morning cartoon yeah. to like add to the brutality. So when it does get brutal, it looks it it's got more of an effect. I don't know. I just I, that's the art style of the comic. Yeah. When I, when I read the comic, that's the art style. So that's I think that's why they've gone for it. So it looks good. Anyway, I'm very go. excited to talk about the main film today. So are you? I genuinely am. Hmm. Well then. So <laughs> uh, in fact, you know what? Then you introduce it. This week's film is Steven Spielberg's. Jurassic Park. There it is. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. Excellent. Excellent. And I guess one of the biggest redeeming qualities of that film is the score, isn't it, from John Williams? What a way to start a review of Jurassic Park. One of the most redeeming things about that film, I guess, is the score. I mean, come on. Well, listen, I'd... Right, okay. Easiest way to start this. I'm going to try and set you back. When is the first time you saw this film? And and tell me where where you were when you saw it, how you felt about it at the time, and then we'll go more to how we feel about it now, because I do think it's really, really important with a film like this to accept the nostalgia side of it too. I cannot imagine ever watching this when it came out because I was born in 1989. It was out in 1993. 
So my memory of this film is very much... I've, I have a really vivid memory of films back th then. Like, the earliest memories I have of films, really, is going to the cinema to see Liar Liar. Um, Titanic is a, a film that really, really sticks out in my mind. I just remember the the um, the, v the VHS and the, the tape on the VHS was so fat because the film's so long. Yeah, it was it, it was like was it 3 hours Titanic? It was something Yeah, it was yeah, something... no, it was 3 hours long. And yeah. so I so I always associate Jurassic Park with Titanic um because they were the huge huge blockbusters at that time of when I was sort of remembering film. And so I can't even yeah, that and and I know they've got nothing in common at all. Um for example, Titanic uh, that was released in 1997, the same year as Lost World. So maybe that's why I associate yes. them, and that's why I prefer Lost World. Do you know what, though? Actually, that another link, which works quite nicely for a little bit of trivia, James Cameron wanted to buy the rights to Jurassic Park, and it's kind of a weird circle because Michael Crichton wrote the book, and the rights were bought and sold for the film before he'd even the book was released, and he sold yes. it for like a million dollars before he'd even had the book released, but everyone just knew it was a good idea. And James Cameron tried to get hold of them, but they were snapped up by the, a different studio way, way quicker, and obviously Spielberg got involved. But Jay, the reason why they could do the dinosaurs partly of uh, Jurassic Park was because a lot of the leaps that had happened with CGI in Terminator 2. So it kind of all goes Whoa. full circle. And there was another thing like that. James Cameron almost did the Spider-Man movie before Sam Raimi did. And it would have been Leonardo DiCaprio. Imagine this, guys and girls in 2001, Leonardo DiCaprio as Spider-Man. Uh, so, yeah, um, I like the fact you said they link because they kind, they kind of do with the filmmakers. So I'll tell you what. Um, so one really interesting, and I'm sure you might talk about it later, you just mentioned about uh, Terminator 2. So this, it's actually the same um, special effects artist as Aliens, I believe. Uh, so Stan, yeah, Stan Winston created the animatronic uh yeah yeah and he was from yeah. yeah the same animatronics from alien aliens he did yeah he uh, he did aliens he also designed the predator he wow. um he did oh i should know more of stan winston's work and i'm not gonna embarrass myself now maybe I'll well the listeners I'm, all i'm gonna tell you the terminator is that, terminator 2 are the main big boys yeah, you are gonna learn a lot from john in this episode i feel i know i don't want to pile any pressure on you but i know that i'm gonna i'm gonna learn some stuff as well because um, this is uh, the linked film as well is extremely interesting. So yeah, no, no, no. So, so yeah, you, you asked me when I'd seen it. So I think that's the earliest I can remember. I, I guess I, I always remember the sound, the sound of the T-Rex. That is that sound. The sound design in this is unreal, but I, for some reason, it's never really gripped me. You know, it's only the last few years when people, I'm, I'm always like, oh, what's your favorite film? Oh, Jurassic Park. It's loads of people's favorite film, and I don't get it because I'm just like, I, it's, I, so, right, I watched it and I gave it an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Extremely well made, groundbreaking in terms of special effects. It, for some reason, it does not grab me. Do you know, so I don't know what to say. I think with Jurassic Park, there is a massive nostalgia factor because... I really, I'm looking forward to talking about, we will talk about the film itself, but in terms of if you look at why it was so groundbreaking, I think that's where a lot of the fond memories come from because special effects up until that point, it was unlike anything anybody had ever seen. And the, and the thing I'd compare it to is, as much as it pains me, the year before, 
Uh, Alien 3 won Best Special Effects. Now, Jamie has come on the pod multiple times <laughs> and slated the special effects of that film. And what I'd say is the the way the alien was portrayed in Alien 3 was through rod puppets on a blue screen, which was then superimposed in, done, and then they were going to try some frame by frame, but they thought it looked too janky, but they did it for a few scenes. Now... That was the originally how Jurassic Park was going to be done. They thought they'd found like a be- a better way of doing it. You can watch it on the Blu-ray. It's called Mo Motion. Now they thought they used CGI to digitally manipulate their frames in between the dinosaurs moving, the the rod puppets moving frame by frame, to interpret yeah. it and make it smoother. But then they were just like, we can build this in a computer. Um, sorry, just to explain yeah. to anyone who doesn't know. Um, when we're talking about that kind of animation, it's literally there's 24 frames per second. So if you're an animator and you've got a rod puppet, you would say, okay, there's 24 frames per second, but the human eye only picks up the movement every every second one of those 24. So you'd move something every second frame. So that means if in, in one second's worth, there'd be 12 frames of movement. And in those 12 frames, it'd be like a little bit of a leg moving or a little bit It'd look bit a bit this. janky in it. And it looks, if you've seen Terminator at the end, that's exactly what that is. And, and, and that looks bad. It looks it bad, does. but it kind of gets away with it because it's a horror film. It kind of adds to it. But let's be honest, it's it's yeah. an older process and and jurassic park would not still be talked about today if it had that even if some people now say oh the cgi doesn't look great now it's like it was the first it was borderline um, excuse me okay it doesn't it doesn't look great uh so right so i for me i must mention the th- the films that always stick out in my mind now bearing in mind jurassic park is 1993 Right. So the one thing I was definitely going to mention in the pod is that, you know, you and I always talk about bad special effects, right? What films do we normally mention? Like, I, and so the films... Star Wars prequels every time. It's Phantom, it's Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, 100%. Yeah, every time. But, Anything but we always from... mention a certain, a certain, um, what superhero film do we always mention of how bad it looks? I can't remember. Spider-Man, the first yes. one. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, yep. And that was so, in 2001? 2002, right? So Spider-Man was in 2002, which was nine years later. Um, now, the other special effects that I really, really hate that look way, way, way Matrix worse. Matrix Reloaded. Yes. The fight. You know it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I've, I love I, this. I, I love that. For some reason, I was just thinking that. I was like, why am I struggling with this? I'm like, I think about all the things we normally moan about. Oh, yeah. Matrix Reloaded. But do you know what annoys me with that is? In a year's time, when they did the fight for the final film, how much better the CGI yeah, got amazing, over yeah. like a year? But guess what? Like um, the Matrix Reloaded, two thousand and three. So, in like so in that time period of those like early two thousand films, it it just looks so bad because they look like rubber plasticine. It looks exactly what it is. It looks like cheap PS two like graphics. Yeah, I mean they were learning to do these things. Before we go any further, I haven't actually said. Should we just give a very quick? synopsis of jurassic park and then i will tell you about when i saw it for the first time and then we can break it down so i you want me to give the synopsis of jurassic park cool um so um an adventure 65 million years in the making i'm joking that's the uh that's the really famous i love that though it's so good yeah no it's, it's really good yeah um so the synopsis of jurassic park so we have uh john hammond played by richard attenborough um 
dreadful Scottish accent. I'm just going to put that out there. I hadn't realised how bad it was. Apparently Sean Connery was offered that role and I can 100% believe it. Anyway, carry on. I'm so glad it was Richard Hammond still. Um, anyway, so he's a, like a, let's, let's, let's say he's a billionaire because I think he must be a billionaire to pull this off. So he secretly creates a theme park um, and it basically features real dinosaurs cloned from um, prehistoric DNA. So what's happened is a mosquito like 65 million years ago has bitten a dinosaur and then been like fr- like um, frozen in amber for 65 million years. And then they what they do is they extract the DNA from the amber and here we go. We can, we can make dinosaurs. Um, and so it's funny because I was watching some behind the scenes stuff and uh, Jeff Goldblum sitting there saying, yeah, yeah. And, and the reason why it's because it's so believable. I'm like, I mean, I, I don't know about that because I was watching it. I was like, hmm, that's a little far-fetched. Um, but anyway, that's just the story. And then we've got two, what are they? What are they? Paleologists? Or paleontologists. Paleontologists, yep. So they're experts on dinosaurs. Um, so then that is uh, Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Settler, uh, played by Sam Neill and Laura Dern, who are both brilliant. Um, Laura Dern's fantastic. And they've basically film. got... Pardon? Laura Dern's fantastic in this film. She's got Sigourney Weaver, Aliens vibes, sequel vibes. She's just brilliant. Oh, I love it. I think Absolutely. she's just great in pretty much everything anyway. Yeah. Um, so what the... So what the... Um, what Richard Attenborough does, uh, sorry, John Hammond, the owner of the park... He invites these paleontologists to the park to sort of be like, oh, look, look what I've done. Um, have like, can you, can you like basically calm down the investors? Yeah, isn't it, it? it's like, basically the lawyer says, if these guys don't sign off on this, then the park's not opening because it's way too dangerous. And, and to be fair, he's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, then they're, I guess the monsters, the monsters, they are monsters. Yeah. Dinosaurs escape. Um, all hell breaks loose now the and dinosaurs escape because of corporate greed because basically one of the Jurassic Park employees is very upset with his boss and decides to steal some specimens and there's a horrendous storm on the island and he tries to get the specimens off and as he tries to go off he puts a fault in the system which basically lets all the electric gates go off and of course it all goes wrong but uh, yeah I really enjoyed visiting this film because I I actually messaged a few. We had a few people talking to us before the pod about the fact of watching Jurassic Park, and I said to you and I said to them, I'm quite nervous about watching this because I have fond memories of it, and I know the CGI won't be quite how I remember it, and I know it won't give me the sense of wonder that I had then. But that's because we've had what twenty oh twenty nine no twenty seven twenty eight years of bashing of all these amazing visuals since then, so it's hard to feel the same awe now. But I remember when I was a kid seeing it for the first time-ish because, I think I've told you this story before on the pod, apologies if I have, when, oh, I don't know how old I was, but my dad used to have a massive VHS collection and it was all, mainly like old Hammer Horror films and stuff he used to record off the TV, like... Love that, love yeah. that. I didn't know your dad was into Hammer Horror. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, so much so. No, Is he? Oh. Day. Yeah, yeah, chat for another day, but... Amazing, we need to get him on the pod. Yeah, that's it. And then, Talk about Hammer Horror. Have a Hammer Horror episode. He, um, yeah, he had a. V- I, I think I said to him like, "What's the scariest film you've ever seen?" And when you're a kid, your dad's not then gonna be like Alien. So you then I see- love this. So yeah. then you then go seek out Alien. So he was like mm, Jurassic Park. And then I remember watching Jurassic Park, and it did 
terrify me but at the same time it's all kind of quite safe but as a kid it's scary but you know it's it's really not that bad and i was obsessed with the scene with the lawyer getting eaten on the toilet i just thought it was absolutely hilarious as a child as you do uh, so oh so that really sticks out that that scene also stuck out in my head i'm so glad you said that i think it's definitely a a scene that is there for kids because yeah it's, yeah. it's a guy and yeah. and spielberg said when he directed this he wanted to feel like a kid because he wanted to give that sense of awe and wonderment now my dad loves dinosaurs and he had loads of books from well the 60s and what have you about like what they thought dinosaurs were like then and you think about how much scientific evidence was you know before then you'd see Jurassic um you'd see a dinosaur and they were standing on their back legs like that like bolt upright and, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. stuff yeah so you know i kind of loved reading those books but they were all kind of incorrect by the time these came along and then what was amazing watching Jurassic Park as a kid was being like oh my god that's a real breathing dinosaur especially the scene with the triceratops so oh, wow yeah so early yeah. doors in the film they're going on the tour and there's like a sick there is a sick triceratops and they go over to go and, and and help it and what blew my mind as a kid was that thing looked real i mean it was it was animatronics not cg but it breathes up and down and it's just that lovely scene where dr grant's kind of got his ear on the chest as yeah. a cavity as it's raising and it's and uh, apparently spielberg learned all these techniques from et where to make et seem real he had him sneeze or blink or breathe or like constantly moving because what gave it away in other films when they had these characters was they'd be quite rigid was he made them more lifelike by making them have traits that were different so like the velociraptors tapping of the uh, uh of the claw and that kind of stuff it's, yeah. it's to give them traits and there's even bits when the dinosaurs get distracted and look elsewhere and then turn back. It's, it, it's and he wanted that to seem like Morse code. Yes, the I saw that. The claws, yeah. Yeah. Um, can, so, I, sh- I know I've mentioned my favourite director, Martin Scorsese, being maybe the most versatile director ever. Could we say that Spielberg is one of the most versatile directors ever working? 100%, but what I was going to say was, when I watched this film, I forgot how good the staging and blocking is. And direction in general, because some of the moves are yes. insane. And I was I was just going, that's why Spielberg did it. And I thought, what's the difference between this Jurassic World and uh, what was the other one? Uh, Fallen Kingdom, which I actually, I, I, I didn't I mean, hate Fallen I love Kingdom. How, I love that you uh, forgot it because it's horrendous. I'm not, I, didn't, I, I hate it. I, I didn't hate it. I just, I just think it's all gone a bit much. But anyway, look, we're here to talk about the first one. What, yeah, what I love about his blocking is... The camera, the moves are quite long. The scenes play out quite for quite a while sometimes. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like even the conversation scenes and you wouldn't have expected that. But it's not like a modern action film where we'd have so many different cutaways for each bit. And like, you know, the born, the, the born issue we've talked about before. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And we no. don't have that. It plays out. And it, he described it as it was almost like a, just an, an 80s action movie rather than a so, horror feature creature, which yeah. it could have been feature creature um the uh so a really interesting thing that you're gonna love sorry um, creature so, feature <laughs> yeah, cre- yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just funny took me a while to register that but yeah backwards like benjamin button that we'll talk about that later though um the uh right so uh, one really uh fun fact that you might like so most obviously we know most films uh in cinema and stuff are shot like uh two three five to one is that right that's well yeah it's it, it, it's the majority of the stars that's the cinematic like thing well this was shot one eight one eight five to one to one which what it what that does um more height for the listeners that's more height and so it was a really that was a, such an interesting choice for me do you know who else did that go on oh no snyder 
No, well, well, no. he well he converted it to a four three afterwards. Four, three. Technically, he did do that, but no, he then changed it in post. What I was going to say was when the Avengers came out, they wanted to have more hype because of when Hulk was on the screen. So when Hulk was on the screen, sorry, when they when they directed Avengers, they decided to use sixteen nine because when the team assembled together, it made Hulk look more impressive. Yeah. So that's quite cool. And also because Joss Whedon at that point had only really directed TV, so he was more used to the 16-9 aspect ratio anyway. Uh, yeah. Because he did well, a like, you, you spoke about the blocking and stuff, like, and there's a lot of, like, scene within a scene that he does. Like, when, for example, like, there's the kitchen scene with the Velociraptor's feet and stuff, like, it does, it's, you've got the, uh, like, the fridge and then you've got the actual block at the bottom where it shows. It's, it's, it's really, really cleverly shot. And the way... The camera in the beginning, like it looks sort of up at it looks up at the characters and then towards the end when the dinosaurs are there, we're looking down on all of them and it's that oppressive sort of atmosphere. It's really clever. There's some things we should chat about with this as well. I, I what I really like is in the first attack, so the first scene in the film is watching the dinosaurs kind of getting put into the park. It's like setting it all up beforehand. And we don't actually see anything of the Velociraptor. We just see the eye. And they're setting up the idea of the Velociraptors are intelligent animals and you don't want to mess with them. And they talk about the ways they hunt in patterns, etc. And it sets it up really well. But the other thing I noticed, uh, by the way, I want to hear about your transfer of the film. I thought that I watched this on a Blu-ray and it was incredible. But what made me smile was uh, back in the day, pre-digital, it took lots and lots and lots of light to film these night scenes and the film stock would get more grain because it was trying to how do I explain this normally on a digital camera if you try to shoot at night time you get more noise in the image digitally because it's trying to up the amount of light in it and it's the same for old film it's the same for film so you get more grain on the image so the the dark scenes are quite grainy aren't they but it's it's just the film stock of the time yeah, so I yeah, so you said you've got the Blu-ray. I <laughs> found the 4K hunted, one. Hunted down. Well, so the 4K Blu-ray. Like, this is really funny. So physical media collectors unite. Um, the 4K Blu-ray is unavailable. Um, so it was released in I think it was 2017. So like four years ago, five years ago, I went to the local HMVs, etc. Of the world, uh, Kex. Couldn't is is it doesn't exist. It was, it's gone. So I then had to get um, a German copy. So I got a German copy of uh, the Blu-ray, uh, which co- well, because so th- the only other way of getting it is to buy the whole trilogy, and I don't want to spend forty-five quid on two and three because it's just. <laughs> I thought you just said the Lost World was the one you preferred. It's the one I prefer, but <laughs> it's not like I'm not going to sit there. I know it's the one I prefer, but I don't. The, these films I can take or leave. Like I'm not that. Yeah, it. but the first one is I got way more fun behind the scene stuff, etc. Um, etc. Et Three I remember loving as well in the giant birdcage thing. Three um, has lots of good scenes, but is gen- generally a bad film if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's one of those. So I've not seen it since I was a kid, and I remember seeing it in the cinema and thinking it was ace yeah. because everything you see in the cinema when you're a kid is ace. So <laughs> so true. And that does- <laughs> Van Helsing, I remember coming out being like, "This is the best film ever." It's not Godzilla. 1996 yeah, Godzilla, 97 no, no, Godzilla. 98, 98. When I saw 98, Godzilla, sorry. I walked out of there thinking, like, I was like, oh my god, this yeah, is yeah. amazing. You'll never see a better yeah. film. You can see Please why say. kids love trolls. 
Joey, like they, <laughs> yeah. they walk out thinking like like listen like singing Justin Timberlake. <laughs> it reminds me of like when I was a kid and I played FIFA 2003 and I went graphics will never get better and it's like that with films it's like there will I, never yeah. be a better film <laughs> you know. I feel like that all that yeah we we used to say all the time about games like this is the pinnacle it can never yeah, get better yeah, that, never that, is, that is so real. So but, yeah. before we get too far off topic I want to bring it back to the film. There's a few themes that I really enjoy in this film which are quite relevant especially at the moment so there's this big idea of uh nature versus science right that's kind of the the crux throughout the film it's just because you can play god and design these dinosaurs should you bring them back what does that mean how should they be treated what rights should they have uh so when they breed the dinosaurs they say that they can't procreate anymore and they, you know, all the, di- all the dinosaurs at Jurassic Park are women. And then uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, the famous uh, Ian Malcolm, um, it is Ian Malcolm, isn't it? Before I said it wrong. Mal- uh, yeah, I think it, yeah. I thought his name was Malcolm. I thought it was Ian Malcolm. Yeah, never mind. It doesn't matter. Well, you, everyone, everyone knows what <laughs> Getting they're talking about. Getting shot down to pieces. It's all good. Yeah, his character uh, is really... I think this links into a question, so I'm actually going to bring it to the question now. Someone said, at what age did you realise that Jeff Goldblum's character was actually, uh, you know, correct and not just a comedy character, but actually morally correct throughout the film? And it's true. As a kid, I'm thinking, yeah, make dinosaurs. That's great. I want to go and see them. And then Jeff Goldblum's character throughout is saying, life finds a way. It doesn't matter if you've bred them all as women, they're going to be able to procreate. And then if they if they can mate and they get off the island, then what happens? What happens to humans? We shouldn't all be here at the same time. It's just, yeah. And he's completely opposed to John Hammond. John Hammond is the billionaire who built the island and he has all these ideas of why he thinks it's the sense of wonder is why he wants to make these dinosaurs and he doesn't care about playing God. He doesn't see it as an issue. And basically the whole film boils down to that issue of should they, shouldn't they? And then what happens? Yeah. Can we say that John Hammond in this... He's not the bad guy. Like he's doing what he's he, supposed. It's, it's something he's really passionate about, and he wants to bring joy to others, so doesn't he? Spielberg described him as a cursed Walt Disney, which I thought was really interesting wow. idea. And it's, love that. Yeah, the idea of like this guy has genuinely pure beliefs about about what people should be able to see, and then realizes when it's too late. He as Spielberg said in the behind the scenes, he he thought his character had gone mad by the end. There's that bit when you know right at the end when he's about going to be pulled away and they like kind of and he's like, "Oh my god, yeah, let's let's go. <laughs> what have we done?" And he's yeah. kind of thinking about it cuz his grand he's contemplating everything like his yeah. whole existence. He he was so transfixed on what he could do. He didn't take a step back to think whether he should do it. It's the classic thing. Uh yeah, and I mean, he, sorry, go, go for it. No, no, no. I was just I was just going to mention um he is like John Hammond is the James Dyson of this of this film. He and is 100% the James Dyson like, of this film. I just film. wanted to talk about the fact that like humanity in general we think we're so smart can we just leave everything alone and we'll last a lot longer. It's, I say this all the time. Yeah. I think we'll be done in like the next 30 years. Something mental. Everyone's got nukes. Um, everyone thinks they're smarter than someone else. We've just done coronavirus, and like we've got films like Jurassic Park. These are a warning. Leave it alone. Like same as you know, AI Jay- as well. James Cameron's films are all always against man versus technology, but from the idea of even Titanic is like this, Avatar. Well, Avatar, but that's about ruining the planet. 
Terminator is like, if artificial intelligence took over, where would it go wrong? And then it was like, even Titanic's like, here's when man thinks they've built something which is indestructible and it's not. You know, it's <laughs> so yeah. 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 So it's it's interesting. What I was going to say though, link this back to John Hammond. At the very start of the film is him going to uh, cr- uh, recruit. Um, sorry, it's Alan Grant, isn't it? And Ian Malcolm, that is right. So he's he's going to get Alan Grant and uh, Ellie Sadler from the uh from where their site where they're digging up and to show how much he doesn't care about the old ways when his helicopter lands it trashes their site and it's almost yep. instantly a visual metaphor of here's this guy blundering in doesn't care about the rules or about history or whatever and do, do you know what i'm trying to say he's kind of upsetting the order straight right, away so li- right listen to this so i that's it's funny you mention that because literally my notes i've got archaeologists frantically cover the fossils while the helicopter lands first example of carelessness disrespecting the research disrespecting the intelligence like it, yeah and it's true isn't it i literally wrote um he, he talked about his cavalier attitude to creating life is the same as, as like landing a helicopter <laughs> look at you, you know trying to write <laughs> trying to write uh, shakespeare on oh, no, well, cavalier attitude i, I apologize <laughs> for that i didn't mean to say no no no, so, no i love it He's, he had a cavalier attitude like he does, yeah. But he's 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 completely unaware. It's a it's yeah. a perfect example of of a billionaire having so much money. Too much money. And, yeah, having zero idea like what the the impact of everything they're doing. Cause it's just a, every, he's just surrounded by yes men at all times. Yeah, it's like George Lucas on the prequels. Anyway, <laughs> just to say a few things. Actually, I'm gonna get this out there now because we're talking a lot about special effects. This was the film that made George Lucas actually make the prequels happen because it was when he saw that they could make fully CGI creatures that he went, the technology's here. I can make my prequels, sequels. Unfortunately, he made prequels. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I always say, unfortunately, I still love the prequels, <laughs> so I slate them, but I just, yeah, if they were made 10 years later, they'd look a hell of a lot better. That's a different conversation, but... Well, it is, it is what it is, so... I would like to say, though, that Spielberg was doing, overseeing the post-production of Jurassic Park as he was filming Schindler's List, and he says it's a period of his life he just cannot remember, because... He would film at Krakow, Poland, doing these horrific scenes all day. And then in the evening, we'd have to drive over to a studio to go and review the dailies of Jurassic Park. Sorry, not the dailies, because at that point, it wouldn't be dailies because they'd finished filming. But the the first rough drafts. And, you know, he said in his car driving to work to Schindler's List, he was listening to the Jurassic Park music on Q-tapes that John Williams had got over. It must have been crazy for him. And he said he actually almost lost all passion for the project because he was dealing with such an emotional project so close to him then this was complete opposite really but spielberg films sorry no sorry so you go no no no. what are you gonna say spielberg films go on i was about to say that um a lot of his films have surrogate families we've talked a lot about like there's always either divorced parents so in et the parents have got um family issues going on you've got the um the surrogate family in terms of he uh so when we meet alan grant at the start of the film he's got a relationship with ellie and he makes it quite clear how much he dislikes children and he's explaining to a child how vicious the velociraptor is and talks about slicing his belly open and all his intestines coming out and stuff he's just not yeah. great with oh kids. yeah no i love that and then so great character he's a six development foot turkey yeah six foot turkey like scares the kids to death because he just doesn't yeah. respect the raptor and do you know what sorry no go for it oh no you were about to say something um, I was just going to go into a question. 
I was going to say it's just it's the character development of that character, that Alan Grant from the start of the film. I don't want kids. Kids are the worst. They smell. Don't want anything to do with them. By the end of the film, he is a surrogate father because he's protected uh, John Hammond's two grandchildren throughout the picture, and it's just great. I I love little beats like that. It gives some motivation. Look at us. We we are we're we're so in each other's heads because the I have I have down here Alan learns to become a father because. He has those that that moment with the two kids where they're both they both sleep on him. Um, so the idea again, the idea in Jurassic Park, we talked about the framing earlier. When they ascend, they ascend into safety, and when they descend, they descend into danger. Another the really of good hell. example. The what? <laughs> like the the depths well, yeah, of yeah. hell. By the time the, they get on that bloody island. Yeah, Spielberg is. I think a lot of people's. <laughs> I don't really know why people buzz off this film. I'll be fully honest. From what I can see from a technical aspect, it's uh, it's incredible what he's done as a director um, in terms of like the the framing and uh, the choices he's made. But you know what's the, the brilliant? Fact he wanted it full animatronics. is yeah. so like bold. But you know those. You know what's really great staging though is you know when they first get on the island. There's lots of little cues that we all know the dinosaurs are going to escape. But what they do is they set up. You remember we were talking about Kubrick does really well. He kind of says, here's my play area and this is where everything is so you understand in the action where everything is. Jurassic Park does a really good job of, here's where the helicopter pad is and when you get to the helicopter pad, there's a drive-through which goes to this. To get through that, there's the electric fences. There are four electric fences and there's the big wooden doors when you go through the wooden doors and it shows you that journey so you go, God, they can't just kind of get straight off. There's quite a lot to... Do you know what I mean? There's a lot to get through. And they're like, the visitor centres here and from here is that. And also... Um, I didn't love Jurassic World, but what Jurassic World did also very well was set up the geography of that island. You, like, you knew where each step was. And then, like in a video game, it's like, okay, to get from point A to point B to escape, I need to go through here. And I thought Spielberg's framing, it's like I'm panning the car going through. And then after the car's gone past me, I pan straight up. And when I pan up, you see it says 10,000 volts. Duh, duh, duh. It's really clever yeah. way of setting up the location without actually having characters say tell me about the park and all the fences they still do by the way they're like all the fences have been electrified and all this is ready but they find a yeah, better way it works really it. well in the story yeah yeah it's a way of visually we talk about this so many times if you can explain through action and it or through action visually rather than having someone say something it's been done well the more that's being yeah. said the kind of <laughs> not so great it is which sounds really trivial but it's kind of true absolutely yeah, and uh, that leads me on to a question. Go for it. Johnny was going to carry on going. He's on it this episode. Sorry, he wants Jurassic to talk. Park hype. Listen, listen. Last episode very much felt like a very much me centric episode. So you Classic. go for it. Go for it, Johnny. Right. Anyway, I do need to answer some questions because we've got lots today. Right then. So we've got two of the same question. We have film forager writes in. Um, I was going to do it in her accent, but I decided not to. Cause that's Don't not embarrass nice. yourself, please. No. Uh, easy question. What was your favorite dinosaur as a kid? And has it changed in adulthood? Vicky also writes in and says, what's your favorite dinosaur? So, John, what is what's your favorite dinosaur as a kid? Has it changed since adulthood? Tell me. I probably has changed. I used to love the T-Rex, but that's just because, as Spielberg noticed when he made the film, because he wasn't originally in the climax. Well, sorry, she she wasn't originally in the climax of the film. Uh, Spielberg says oh, yes. that the the T Rex is was the hero, like one of the leads of the film. Practically, people just really wanted to see the T Rex. So that for me was a massive deal. 
we'll go into it but the scene when they first arrive and they've got the water shaking and all that stuff so i was obsessed with the t-rex just from the way it was revealed but as i'm older i don't know velociraptors are cool but i'm told a lot of the velociraptor traits in the film aren't more so with another dinosaur as in they for hollywood effect they're like oh we like all those things we'll put it in a velociraptor but actually velociraptor is a bit smaller and not high so so i won't go any any geekier actually i love stegosaurus rex because in the lost world there's a stegosaurus and i love it jamie what's yours well uh, i originally started off when i was a kid i loved the triceratops just thought it was just because it was badass just because in power rangers it was triceratops tyrannosaurus Probably, probably. tiger. <laughs> well, that doesn't work. But anyway, yeah, yeah probably. Well, no, they were uh, when saber tooth tigers around back then. I don't think there was a crossover there. But I need to there remember. Probably that. Wasn't. Are we talking about Power Rangers or? What? We're talking about Power Rangers because let's be honest, guys. If we're talking about 1993-94, we can't go around without talking about Power Rangers. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, just quick one. Um, so before you just said that, who's your favorite ranger? Uh, oh, that is such a killer. I think it is the Green Ranger because he was badass. And when he ended up having to be the White Ranger, it just wasn't as interesting. Oh, I just ben, much, oh, the White Ranger was the badass. I, I love the Black Ranger. I thought it was really cool. I'm throwing this out there on the pod now. When uh, Ben and Pete, uh, my uncles, they had the video of just the Green Ranger storyline from when he comes in as a baddie and then becomes a goodie. And we were completely obsessed with that VHS tape. We Every time we went around, we watched it so many times. And also... Do you remember the Green Ranger had like a little flute and he used to play it to call the dragon? <laughs> do, 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 do. So I just, yeah, I was obsessed with that. Anyway. I'm um, not being funny, right? But who, no, no, no. Well, we just need to carry on with that just for a second. Okay. Who thought it was a good idea to give him a flute? Because that is not a cool instrument. Well, no, Wouldn't but, it be better if he just like whipped out a saxophone? Like, like it'd be way no, better he, if he, he had a sax. He had an, it was like a sword dagger knife thing, which was also a thing. But I remember, just yeah, because I, remember. I was so jealous. Ben and Pete had the toy of that, and I was just like beside myself with the fact they owned. Did they break it? Uh, I don't think they did break that one. <laughs> but I, I also had, uh, I had the gold Ranger outfit, you know, in Zio. So it was like yeah, yeah, the yeah, black yeah, Power Ranger yeah. with the gold outfit. I had that, but I was jealous because Ben had like the staff thing, you know, like the that Ranger had a staff and it like yeah, shot yeah, yeah. laser. Anyway, yeah, Power Rangers was awesome and very much so because of the Zords, which were mainly dinosaurs. And that's why another reason I love the Tyrannosaurus was because it was the Red Ranger Zord. Tyrannosaurus! Tyrannosaurus! Right, so Stegosaurus (laughs) was my favourite when I was a kid because it had like horns on it and stuff. It looked just badass. I I guess it was literally 100%. uh, Velociraptor was my favourite and probably still is, I guess, like because it's... It's the smartest, it's the fastest, it's just a complete um, killing machine. And I, I guess that's pretty cool. I, I never really was a huge fan of the T-Rex. Just tiny little arms. I couldn't take it seriously. Fair enough. One of the things I really love about Jurassic Park, and this is has been talked about in a few of the Corridor Crew videos, so it's something if anyone's interested in CGI effects you should look into, is Spielberg shot as if the dinosaurs were real. Now, this sounds really stupid, but what I mean by this is he scaled the frame to the size of the dinosaurs. So when you see the Brachiosaurus in the first scene, when it's the famous scene, you know, the Jeep pulls up and you see the characters' reactions first 
amazing scene. And you and you know you see the disbelief on their face, and he turns Ellie's head. Doctor Grant turns Ellie's head, and they just can't believe it. But what's amazing is when you see the shot of the Brachiosaurus, it's a low angle from basically like the feet of Doctor Grant Ellie, because in real life, if you wanted to fit a dinosaur into a shot in a frame, that's how it would happen. Now, in all the modern Jurassic Park films, so I'm talking from uh, Jurassic World onwards, they don't frame the the they don't organize the frame so it looks like the perspective is that of people looking up at the dinosaurs. It's like as an outsider, let's say God's eye line, looking in on the scene from above or from afar, and that makes such a difference. It's even even if the CG isn't as great as we remember we feel so much more involved with it that we're willing to allow it and because the storytelling is so well done that's that's just my take i think the cg is impeccable like on it's only on specific scenes so that scene for example the scene where they stand up and like the acting in that scene's amazing because they're actually looking at a white piece of paper with a red x on it that's all they're looking at and apparently and so you, you know jeff goblin's reaction apparently spielberg just been like oh uh, he's like in his face just saying and and you you're laughing you don't know why you're laughing but you're laughing because you just can't believe it you can't believe there's a dinosaur there and then this then that and goblin was like yeah all right fine you know just well, he says uh, what was it is is quite is uh he says in that scene you son of a bitch you've done it like something like that but the uh yeah that that scene looks a little bit dated at this point like and i had the 4k release so there was certainly scenes that were a little bit um softer than others but I think I it's, say... some of them are intentional, though, because, you know, the Brachiosaurus at the top. I think the point was, if you tried to get that in focus on a camera, you wouldn't, wouldn't be happen. able to. And I think yeah. I genuinely think I hope so. I genuinely think they were going for that. But anyway, continue. Well, I didn't really have much to say. Just I just wanted to just say that I really think the special effects are amazing throughout, like absolutely amazing. I don't for one second think it looks bad in any way shape or form so that that's one thing and, and me i am not a an apologist for the film like i i, I think it's good like I, I don't it doesn't grip me but the film used cgi very cleverly though we should talk about this so a basic rule of thumb for jurassic park if you're watching for the first time which i doubt it if you're listening to this podcast but if you see anything real close up as in not full body it is usually a, a practical effect and they did have some guys literally in Velociraptor suits, etc. Like they used Love to do it. the Alien films previously. But they then intercut it very briefly with CGI doubles, basically, is what I call them. And the CGI... So, the, uh, sorry, this is quite interesting. I hope you guys find it interesting too. When they were going to make the film, we talked about the frame-by-frame frame animation they were going to do with the rod puppets. Those yeah. guys were devastated when they heard that they were going to use CGI because they thought, man, we are out of a job. There's a whole skill set completely removed from the industry. But what they did for this film, normally when you animate something in a computer, if anyone's used After Effects or anything like that, you make keyframes. So you'll have a thing which will say, you know, if I had a dinosaur or a, let's say human, it's easier. The computer would build a skeleton in them with key points and you literally would move those points along frame by frame and the computer would kind of interpret the motion in the middle to make an animation of someone walking. Now, on Jurassic Park, the technology wasn't that advanced at this point. So they had the puppets they had 
but they rigged it up to a computer so the computer could detect the movements. So actually, all the movements and the animation of the dinosaur aren't keyframe animation. They're still done by the puppeteers in that frame-by-frame setting, but the computer smooths it out that much better, which they never, ever could have done with the uh, old frame animation that we've talked about that looked a bit janky on Terminator. And I just love the fact they managed to incorporate the talents of those animators with the new technology of CGI. And a lot of the reason why those dinosaurs stand up in, and let's say if they're not pixel perfect, is because the characteristics, the way they move, the animation is spot on. Yeah. Um, So the person that's in charge of the stop motion was a guy called Phil Tippett, who is who Spielberg sought him out because he was the best in the business at he that did time. He did the tauntons on Empire Strikes Back. So if you the, the best stop motion I think you will ever see is at the start of Empire Strikes Back when the tauntons running in the snow. You know that Luke's riding. Oh, God, yeah. So it looks incredible. They, yeah. they did it well because they had it on a far enough away shot where you could kind of get away with it. And also yeah. the walkers in Star Wars, the AT-AT walkers, he was the guy who was uh, one, well, one of the guys who was um, doing the animation for that, and as we all know, that still looks amazing to this day. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think you're right. The I guess what what sets this film apart is the the special effects of the time. I, I'm assuming that's why people like it. I think I believe it's mostly nostalgia that they, yeah. the first time they saw a T Rex on screen. But also um, the, the, one... the score's fantastic. And I think we should not take away from Iconic. the fact... John Williams said he wanted to give them a sense of awe and wonder and make you feel like a child when you heard it. And whenever I hear the Jurassic Park theme tune, I always relate it to nature. Anything like amazing you see, anything Atterborough, you know, just I think of Jurassic Park. Yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a few... There's a few score... When, if you say to someone, what, what are your favourite film scores of all time? They'll probably come out with stuff like superman jurassic park will always be on the list pirates of the caribbean indiana jones uh guess who <laughs> john williams always like and or Hans zimmer like one, yeah. one of them two well it's it's, it's almost like one kind of over overlaps and then the other came in the other thing to say about uh the cg the the, the focus uh, the, the one scene i really want to focus on because i love it is the first t-rex attack that is such a fantastic is use. this in the rain yeah so, really interesting so, this is around the animatronics so do you want to talk about the animatronics then i'll talk about the cg you go there's for not it. a huge deal to talk about just that they this this t-rex that they they built it this this was a full-size t-rex they built they built a mold of it it was skin it was hydraulics and so the way it worked is so interesting to me because this isn't really my bag usually but i, f- I found it fascinating was that they it was controlled with computers and basically the way they programmed it was to program the T-Rex and the way it moved was sort of, they programmed the weight and so, yeah. it, so it would move fluidly. And so in this rain scene, they didn't realize that the, the suit was like basically soaking and far, far heavier than it was at the beginning. And so it was like shaking in between scenes. So have you seen the clip having... of it shaking on the Blu-ray? Yeah. It's so, <laughs> yeah. like Spielberg was like the dinosaur would shake. I thought I bet it didn't shake that much. So it showed the clip, and literally the T Rex is like vibrating like, from brrr, side brrr, to brrr, side. Like, yeah, yeah. And and so people were having their break, and it would it would randomly start moving, and they would get really scared. There'd be screams, and so I found that super interesting. That how they, if like when you look back at the film, watch the film, and look at that T Rex. Believe me. It's unbelievable how the that is that is a robot. I, like it looks, it looks 
incredible, doesn't it? So what I love about that scene is it's a fan- it's to this day some of the best use of practical and digital effects merged together because I we've talked about Michael Bay being the master of doing an explosion on set and then putting it with fantastic CG from ILM and combining the best of the both worlds to make the most realistic-looking special effects. And I can't believe with Jurassic Park, you've got... um, Spielberg said he wanted it in the rain because he wanted another layer to the image, and it works really well. And the first time you see the T-Rexes through the car window, and the reason he did that was to make you feel like you were stuck... It's okay, don't worry, mate, you drop your phone. He wanted it to feel like that you were stuck in the car with the kids... So the fact that you see the eye peering through the yeah. glass and then, uh, you know, still animatronic when the, the T-Rex is uh, trying to bite into the car, you know, he's yeah. like bite into the glass. That must be terrifying as a kid actor, just having a massive animatronic heavy Absolutely. robot dinosaur. On I would you. imagine so. And Spielberg, but Spielberg was so good with them two kids. Mm-hmm. I've seen some interviews with the two kids. They're grown up now. And apparently he was sort of laughing and joking with them between scenes, but then, like, throwing in questions about the scene. He's, like, just a really good person to be on set with. But, um, yeah, I think he works really well with children, especially in um, E.T., I thought was one of the best, like, ensemble kids groups till something like, obviously, Stranger Things is the one we always reference because it's very, very similar. Uh, yeah. That's a complete rip. Um, <laughs> There's me so- trying to do it politely, and then Jamie's gone in hard. Well, well, it, well, but it is, but and that's fine. That's fine because Stranger Things is really good. good. So yeah, yeah, we we all good. In that um, scene though, they they do a fantastic job in the evening T Rex attack with the darkness hides a lot of the detail. So the reason the best the best CGI I think in Jurassic Park is that T Rex attack, and the reason it's the best CGI is because it's in the dark. It's only got hard light hitting the dinosaur. So what that yeah. means is for a computer is every bit that's in shadow, it doesn't have to render the information because it's in blackness so they can use more of the allocated pixels and render time for the bits that are in in the lights so that's why the t-rex looks amazing for 1993 it looks amazing as it's coming over i think all the sequences of the t-rex attack in the evening are just stand out for me i just think they look amazing the ones i don't you know i'm being so picky here but it's just because i love films i love digital art in general and i find it interesting it's just there's a few in the the raptor attack towards the end that were a bit just a, a little li- bit shonky a little bit i say shonky i'm being so harsh because this was literally the first time it was being done but um, i yeah, yeah i never it never took me out of no because the, you're so invested the in the direction in the story yeah. spielberg said his favorite shot in that by the way is when you know lex is shutting herself in an oven or like a yes and then in the kitchen the dinosaur thinks it's got her the velociraptor charges out at the what he thinks is lex and it's a reflection it's a reflection in the kitchen and he said yeah it's my favorite shot i thought it's really cool but yeah no, oh, i love that yeah in the t-rex attack sorry yeah i love the fact that uh yeah the the way the cgi is just so brilliant and you know it's got rain hitting off it and everything and you know we, yeah. oh, we no, take no, it no, so much for granted it, because it's 2020 2021 sorry but you know in 1993 when you were sat at the cinema this must years ago. this must Nearly have been years ago the only thing i can compare it to in my lifetime i still don't think it's it would have been as big a deal it would be way bigger is the first time when you saw a 3d film and you're like wow 3d avatar, like avatar you know i've got complaints about a film but visually the best 3d film i've ever seen i don't think i'll see a, a more visually Bio. stunning film by ever again mile, I think. probably um yeah. as much as i enjoyed the phantom menace re-release in 3d which i went to see with ben and p excellent <laughs> but in terms of you know visually they must have just been 
blown away to go from stop motion puppets to digital fully moving dinosaurs and bear in mind they wouldn't have seen this on blu-ray they'd have seen it on film and we all know when you project on film cg effects actually look that bit more integrated do you you know what i'm trying to say by that so you kind of get that feel and you know what 63 million pound budget as well um and if you compare that to terminator which was two years before uh, that was a hundred million wow really wow okay yeah, if you if you think about what Spielberg's achieved, and to be honest, I, th- I think Terminator is one of the most visually stunning films. Terminator, Terminator 2, 2, sorry, is, yeah. Yeah, is one of the most visually stunning films ever. Um, the, the fact that he's achieved that with £63 million pounds it's, it's is incredible. crazy. There's, a, yeah. there's one more special effect I will talk about, and then I will focus more on story just before well, I Well, just there. before you do go into special effects, because you're on about the T-Rex scene, Yes, I did just wonder... Um, we we've been asked to discuss the uh the the phantom drop um the phantom cliff drop in the t-rex paddock so i'll be a kiln flub thanks yeah when we saw that question i'll be completely honest i didn't know what you're on about so enlighten me i didn't know i didn't know i had to google it so basically what it is is that there is uh there's a there's a scene where you see the t-rex walking along what is the paddock and then it's the bit where they fall over the edge. You know when they're on the edge oh, of the cliff? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so that cliff didn't exist before. <laughs> do, you know, so, do you know what? Now you've said it, I, I remember someone did a scene breakdown in like an Empire magazine and it broke down like why that happened. But I would say Spielberg plays fast and loose with that because you know when the T-Rex turns up at the end, the art director said, well, how does the T-Rex get into the museum? Like he wouldn't fit through the doorway. And he's like, oh, he enters out of top right of frame. And he was like, he just said how he got into the film, <laughs> not how he gets into the glaring film. continuity error. Yeah, don't, I don't care. I, I mean, I can only yeah, I can only imagine it's a glaring continuity error. Or so I, I have seen people theorize it on uh, Google, but I'm not going to go into that. There, there's a whole Reddit substream was the one yeah, thing is, I yeah, found, yeah. and I was I like, read it as well. do I care enough? I don't think I do. It's the classic trope though of 90s films there. You know, a dinosaur's approaching and the whole first sequence of the T-Rex is how much noise do we have when that T-Rex approaches? The end of the film when they're chasing the velociraptors and the T-Rex turns up at the end. They don't hear it coming. It just appears. It's like, oh my God, the T-Rex is there and it's killing them and it's ridiculous. But it's a movie trope. We all love it. So let's just get over it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I've, I've never noticed it. So, tell me about the other special effects. No, it's just in, you know, Jeff Goldblum does the sequence where he gets the red flare and they say, you know, don't move because it's based on movement. And Jeff Goldblum decides, no, I'm just going to get a flare and get the dinosaur away from, from the kids. You know, Have you noticed anything? When you watched it, did you notice anything about that scene, I'll say, actually? No. When he's running towards camera. Oh, is it? A, oh, yes, I did. Yeah, the big lens flare. Do you mean the lens no, flare? No, I wasn't talking about so that, but yes, there flare. is a big lens flare. So it's handheld and they're running away. So all the other CGI bits at that point are basically locked off shots, which are then the cameras panned digitally in post. That scene was handheld camera. So now if I had a shot of Jamie running down the street and it was handheld and I wanted to CGI something in an After Effects, I would click a tool and it would track the motion of the camera, give me all the key points. I could put the put whatever CGI thing in behind Jamie, like an explosion. It would go there, no problem. 
1993, it did not exist. There's 24 frames per second, so however long that running shot is, maybe 10 seconds, someone had to go through frame by frame and work out where the dinosaur's foot would be to match up into that scene. It is insane the amount of craft and that went into just completing that one shot and i know when you guys watch it you probably don't care and you'll never think about it but the wizardry behind it is just amazing i mean so what you're basically saying to me is that your job is really easy now and anyone could do it i don't do cgi so that's not what i'm saying at all but thanks for that oh <laughs> he loves he loves a snarky comment back Always. That's our John. Anyway, you just mentioned the flare scene, right? Yes. So, um, Kim's.cinema.escape writes in, friend of the show, and she says, What do you think is the most iconic scene, flare or kitchen scene? Now, I'm going to let you go first because I don't think it's either of those for me. I think the most iconic for me first actually would be the brachiosaurus reveal i just think it's whenever i think of jurassic park that is the scene that's in my head i'd say okay. the second one would definitely be flair because i just think that sequence i think it might be about 10 15 minutes long is just perfect from the build it, it it's almost hitchcockian with it it builds really slowly really slowly really slowly and then it kicks off yeah and it's going it's going it's going i i yeah how about you i'm, I'm intrigued what what scene do you think then Actually, of well, those two first. Of those two first, sorry. So, of those two, 100% the kitchen scene. By oh, okay. Mile. See, I, I'm always kind of done by that point because the T-Rex isn't in it as much. But that's as a kid. No, but the velociraptors are in it and they're terrifying and they're really clever. Yes, so, true. So, 100% the kitchen scene, right? But there's another two scenes that stick out in my mind. So, obviously, I'm not. this doesn't include the two, but the one you mentioned where they see the Brachiosaurus for the first time. Yeah, incredible. The other two scenes that I that really stick out in my mind. So number one, every single time I think of Jurassic Park, is the scene with the glass of water, and the ripple effect. Yeah, T Rex attack. That is well. That yeah, but that's the. I'm classifying yeah, that, that all as one bit. I'm, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm that going specific. For it. That specific shot is really, really for me iconic. And then the other one is obviously. Um, our boy, the one, the one we hate. I can't remember his name. The one that's uh, in his little yellow jacket, his little "Hey Charlie" um, from it. Um, he's got his little yellow jacket on, and he's going to open all the gates. And then you've got the, the I don't know uh, what it is, but it spits in his face. The uh, it's the one, the venomous one. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember the name. I can't remember the yeah. the dinosaur's name, but it, it's yes. basically a venomous one, and it causes blindness um, and shock. Do you know and what? So though? for me, that that's is, the one. Yeah, them, them two scenes. That's yeah. an interesting... Do you know what, though? And what I find amazing is ever film that you're not that bothered about, it's still an 8 out of 10, and there's still so many amazing scenes to discuss. And do you know what? Before we go any further, I have done an absolute disservice to uh, Ellie Sadler, the, her character. My One of my favourite sequences as a kid, and I'm, I'm happy to stand by this now. You know... So basically... <laughs> there's a scene where they need to restart the power back at Jurassic Park, and they... and 
John Hammond yes. doesn't want to send her because she's a woman and she says I'll discuss the uh, issues of sexism when I return however for now you know I'll oh, be on my love way that. love yeah, that yeah, yeah. she goes with um, the, the park keeper who we've not really talked about who's called Nordine <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that actually because it's brilliant it's so it's well I mean, it's probably ahead of its time in 93 I think I don't know but I just massively lo- ahead of I, just, time, I love I that I was like great and I said to you it reminded me of Ripley and Aliens which I'm all for every day of the week so she just takes yeah. takes your action and off she goes but um, she goes with Muldoon who loads up his shotgun doesn't he good action scene he loads up the shotgun he's like we're yeah. off to go find the you know the raptors clever girl that's in regards to the raptor I love that guy he's, he's he's really brilliant. cool character so intense but anyway he basically says okay I can see a raptor but there's actually two either sides so you need to run now and there's all these trees like along the floor aren't there and he's like yeah. one two three run now and she does like proper Tomb Raider vibes just sprinting yeah. through jumping all these trees and stuff and then she gets inside and she's on a radio to uh, Malcolm and to John Hammond and they're like you need to go here to turn the power on and you need to follow the power lines and she's following it and following it and we think we're going to find Samuel L. Jackson's character still alive because he's gone 10 minutes before to turn the power back on and she thinks she's found him and a hand goes on her shoulder so she turns around she's like oh thank god you're here da, da, da. and then she turns around it's just the arm bitten off and she screams and she's absolutely terrified it's so good isn't it it's such a good jump scare absolutely and brilliant i'm i'm, I'm so surprised that we haven't mentioned samuel l jackson yet yeah i know because, yeah he i it was surprised me because i couldn't even remember that he was in the film i apparently he wasn't particularly known at this point though this is kind of just before pulp fiction yeah so that's that's probably part of it but yeah i just that scene with Ellie is fantastic. But what I like is, although she's terrified, she still takes action. Like, she doesn't mess about. I love the scene as well as a kid for some reason. You know when you just see, like, a vending machine as a kid and you're like, I'm going to press every button? Or is that yes. just me? Oh, yeah, like, course, the big yeah, white a, button yeah, for check. Pepsi or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. I loved in that scene is she has to turn one each thing on individually. So, like, gates, fence, yeah. electric power. By the way, as she does this, the kids are climbing over electric fence and we know when it's she presses the button, yeah. they're going to she's going to turn on the electric fence. But what's amazing, she's like, "Mr. Hammond, I think we're back in business." And then the diner like the velociraptors come in behind her on the gate and she has to run away. It's just brilliant and it reminds me also Sarah Connor at the end of Terminator 2. Do you know what I mean? Like that sequence with the T1000 and like similarly yes, degrading yeah. and, and absolutely yeah, intensity. Yeah. I just I love it. I just absolutely adore it. And again, you know, it would have been very easy in this film to be say, oh, Ellie wants children, so she's going to be the maternal character and we're going to place her with the kids. And they didn't do that. And I'm really glad they didn't because it was far more surprising that with Alan Grant doing that Sam Neill's character. And absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's quite progressive, really. Like, yeah. It's a pro- like, pretty progressive for, like, again, 93. Like The only thing I would say is if we were... Um, um, a lot of the dialogue she's talking about are about other male characters rather than about herself and other females. So I think that's part of the problem because that she is basically the only female character in that film apart from Lex and they don't yeah. get much time together. So that, yeah, that in hindsight is obviously an issue. But in terms of for that time, I do think she was a strong female character, which is, you guys know, I talk about Buffy all the time. I talk about aliens. They all have a very similar theme in them. Yeah, I just absolutely adored it. And... I'd forgotten, to be honest, how much, how well, how strong her character is. But in terms of how much of, a, you know, when at the end as well, sorry, the Velociraptors are trying to break into that control room, and she is saving Sam Neill's butt by being there. 
you know it's it, oh it's, absolutely yeah, i, yeah, I yeah. love that there's no you know big macho guy coming in to save the day it's team effort and you know the kids get a big say in it don't they like the kids lex says she's a hacker and she was talking oh. about how i know you oh. hate that bit and she's Can like I, right there go. sorry i need to stop you there because Someone asked us a few weeks ago what our least favourite movie tropes are. Can I just tell you right now? Uh, like, hacking is 100% my least favourite trait in any film. Because it's like, I'm just going to hack it. And it's just like, someone going there and be like, <laughs> like oh, I'm going to pretend. Like, that's me tapping on the desk. Sorry. I'm going to pretend. I know I'm going to guess the password and I'm going to hack into it. Get real. That's never gonna like ja- Jamie. I hate it. Jamie, you used to love Twenty Four, and that was all about the hacking, mate. Come on. Yeah, but I was uh, nineteen. Like, I am no done excuse. with the hacking. They just they listen. I'm. I don't like hacking. It's a, such a farce and such a. I think in the nineties it was a trope that people didn't fully understand, so they could get away with it. Because it's yeah, computers. Yeah, it was, it was like oh, new. oh yeah, so I'm going to hack it. Yeah, but there's there's things like that all the time with like films where you look back and you go, how did that ever? Excuse me, how did that ever fly? And it's just it's just one of those things, isn't it? If people don't fully understand the technology, it's a good get out of jail free card or Deus Ex Machina. But there we go. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, she's a. I'm gonna hacker in quotations. Yeah. Have we got any more questions on Jurassic Park? Um. So as far as Jurassic Park goes, we do have one last question. It is from friend of the show, uh, Pete, and he asks, da, 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 "Hi Johnny and Jamie. Hi Johnny and Jamie. Hold on a minute, Peter. He's put your name first. Uh, this, do you know?" Do you know what? He sounds fickle to me because he used to put my name first all the time because I was his favourite. He sounds fickle. Anyway, he says, hi, Johnny and Jamie. Uh, with a with one of those laughy faces with the tear on the forehead, like he's sweating. Um, it's very hot, to be fair, Peter. Uh, Jurassic Park is renowned for its impressive animatronics that hold up so well today, especially compared to CGI from that era. Do you think there will ever be a time that CGI could truly replace practical effects and animatronics when we look back and see so much questionable CG in past films? Pete? I believe we are genuinely at a point now where... Excellent question, by the way. Excellent question, genuinely. I think we're at a point now where things look photoreal in the freeze frame. The issue is usually in the animation and bad animation is usually down to a lack of time. So I think when films have a lot more time, you get better animation. But interestingly enough, we were talking about how in this film that it was done by the puppeteers, whilst now the animation is done through keyframe animation. So maybe that's why the Jurassic Park creatures look more real or more I'm, realistic. I'm gonna, sorry, I don't know. I'm literally going to full blown go out there and say, no, I don't think that CG is ever, ever going to live up to a physical presence of a man in a suit um i just I, I for me when when i look at alien when i look at alien i'm like and or alien uh alien 3 is that perfect example of that it's of not that cgi scene. and there's only so many times i will say this on the pod the alien, I know it's alien. Not, i'm not saying it's, no, no no i'm not saying it's cgi okay so why don't you wait why don't you wait <laughs> jumping on the defense mute mute your mic uh why don't you just wait for a second so that piece, <laughs> uh, he's just giving me the finger. That's not very nice, is it? Um, 
<laughs> so the that that uh, that really famous shot with Ripley um, with her head against the wall and the alien face in her all dri- all with all drooling down iconic right I just want to say that nothing is ever going to come close to that like fi- like never in a million years. We will be able to achieve more with CG, absolutely. Like, I'm not going to be able to see someone run up a building and smash it and all that. So it, it does serve a purpose nowadays. It looks great. I think the biggest problem with CG isn't how it looks anymore. It's the physics. Yeah. That, it's let, the, let's let's, let's oh, physics, explain as this. in the... As, yeah, as in, so what the monsters have in Jurassic Park, and I do think now I know how they did it, the animation, I think it's the weight. And when you are physically moving something yourself... There's a sense of the yeah. gravity and the mass. And I the, agree. And the problem is with... We talked about Matrix Reloaded. It's like a rubber doll's being flung around because... And in that first Spider-Man, yeah. because the the idea of weight and mass just isn't there. Whilst if you look at even the amazing Spider-Man CGI, how much it had come on by that point in 2012. And then again... Yeah. Uh, some of the latest Marvel films. I mean, there's so much. You know, people never notice ba- uh, good CG. You only notice bad CG. And there's so much hidden CG in films now. I've sent you that video. You've seen it. When you no, yeah, when yeah, you yeah, see I, how I much hidden CG there is, it's incredible. But what I'm trying to say is, I think there's always a place for animatronics. And when do you know what? When they did fall in fall in order, if you like it or not, the most recent Jurassic Park, they used a lot more practical. Fallen, hold on, sorry. What's it Fallen called? It's uh, Fallen Kingdom. Oh, sorry. Fallen You're Order is about the Star Wars game. Star Wars game. Yeah. I'm so sorry. But, well, oh, anyway. no, no, no. I only corrected you just in case we had some scathing responses. Well, there, yeah, yeah. Basically, that film used more animatronics because the actors said they preferred it and it helped them get more more in the zone of it because on Jurassic World there was le- there were less of them sorry uh so yeah I think for acts and stuff it works better but I would just say that I think it's really easy to bash CG but I'm actually quite an advocate for it. there's a lot of things it can do if they've got the right amount of time but so many th- bad things that happen with CG is because people run out of time or change their minds last minute and then they have to change it yeah. um so it's, yeah, it's it's, it's for it's, me it's it's complicated, isn't it? It was solely the phys- physical presence. I would just say though, in Alien Covenant, which is a film we talk about a lot as well, in Alien Covenant, <laughs> well, I think we talk about Alien a lot in general. It's because it's the only thing I used to watch for about ten years of my life, and that's not really an exaggeration. Jamie will know. Uh, no, in in Alien Covenant, they had a man in the suit on set, and they recorded it all with the man on the suit, and then they digitally removed him and replaced him with a CGI one, and. I don't think the CGI is bad in Covenant at all. I think actually there's some amazing CGI in that film, but it seemed weird to go through the effort of having the man in the suit and then kind of completely remove him. I, I just, I, you just, I just, I didn't get it. You're, ne- you're just never gonna get. I, I want to see real cars crashing. I want to see real, like real physical, like puppets because it just looks better the truth is that ai and the physics for cg improves all the time and the more that advances the better the recreations will be but as jamie said there's a lot to be said for just going and smashing up a car <laughs> so yeah there's a certain that way is that it's, it's, it's literally the physical way anyway right one last question on jurassic park so patch writes in like he always does with his great questions friend of the show he says uh to most people the first Jurassic Park is the high watermark of the franchise, with none of the sequels able to find the magic or success of the original. What have the sequels got wrong, and where could the franchise go from here? 
or is this nonsense? And the subsequent films gone from strength to strength. Sub question. I'll do that after. I so what are we saying? I believe that I think Spielberg did not want to repeat himself. So let's talk about the first, let's break it down. Jurassic Part One. I I love no complaints. The Lost World. I know why a lot of people didn't like it because the the theme park itself was a massive character of Jurassic Park as much as the characters themselves. Yeah. And in the Lost World, it's like oh. It's the it's not uh, uh, Island Nubler. It's the other island where they were getting them ready and then they were transported over to Jurassic Park, right? That's that's correct. And the the whole thing with that is people. I think also it feel always felt weird to me. They didn't bring back Doctor Grant straight away, and they didn't bring back Ellie Sadler, and they only brought back Ian Malcolm. I don't know why that choice was made. So I think some people didn't like that. And then they obviously brought Dr. Grant back for the third one. But I thought the second one was an animal activist movie. There's that whole sequence where they're like, the dinosaurs shouldn't be uh, in captivity. captivity. They let them all loose. They should run free on the island and they deserve rights. I think that film speaks, has a lot to say. I think that's very relevant and great. And our responsibilities as humans on the earth and what we should do. So I think Spielberg was trying to do something different. I think he got lambasted for that at the time. In relation I... to the the three and the other ones, I think three was just not. I I, I haven't got a lot of love for three. Jurassic... Joe Johnson directed, by the way. Yeah, you well, may know from Jumanji. Yeah, and um, I mean his biggest film, unfortunately, was Captain America. Um, <laughs> oh, he's gonna the let first that linger. Avenger. Um, yeah, but I was gonna say Jurassic World felt very much of that era when we were just rebranding every film with a soft reboot. Jurassic World is a soft reboot. 100%. Absolutely. 100%, yeah. And uh, Fallen Kingdom, I keep saying the name wrong. Fallen Kingdom for me was, they were trying to do something different. It's just, I wasn't interested in what they were trying to do. And yeah, what what do you think? I mean, I th- I just think it's a film that basically only needed one. And then it's like the second was fine, but then when they went back a third time, it's like, we can keep going back to this island, but it's it's a bit like Alien. How many times can you ship out the airlock? And Jurassic Park's the same. How many times can you go to that place and then say, oh, we need to get off the place and then leave? No, yeah, I, I mean, I fully, I, it's as with everything else. I'm not really, I'm not the biggest advocate for uh, remakes in general, well, re- sequels and remakes, and it, I'm just, I'm, I'm done with it. Like too much of anything's a bad thing. The so the one thing I will say is that obviously we 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 spoke about the Jurassic Park budget was sixty three million, and then Lost World was seventy something. And then Jurassic Park 3 was 93 million. So in actual fact, like it's probably like quite like relevant, the amount of budget they had to the the time that had passed. So they probably all really had the same budget if you look at inflation and stuff. Um, I'd imagine, I'm sure there's someone out there that could really crunch the numbers and prove me completely wrong, but that's fine. I don't know. I've not seen, I've, I've seen... Um, all of them, and I just find them. It's just it, it deteriorates, doesn't it? Like if you the first time you see that dinosaur on screen, it blows your absolute mind. The first time you see those characters, it blows your mind. And then as you have stuff hit goes the on, nail it dilutes on the head. and dilutes. You've hit the nail on the head, though. The first time we hadn't seen anything like it, we hadn't seen Godzilla, we hadn't seen Independence mm. Day, and the truth is, after this, we had seen it, and I think. You will never get back the nostalgia and the feels of the first Jurassic Park. You can play me the emotional piano version ten times in ten other sequels. 
but it's really hard to capture that. I think what they're trying to do with the latest Jurassic Park film, which comes out next year, I think, is they're bringing the dinosaurs to like New York and that kind of thing. But they tried that. So it's Godzilla with, film. Well, they did that in the Lost World, though, did they not? In the Lost World, oh yeah, the T Rex comes to California. I love the T Rex is in California and he's drinking from the pool again. Yeah, that CGI for nineteen ninety seven is incredible. On it, you yeah. you watch that on your four K. Well, you haven't got it on the four K, but anyway, whatever. No, no, no. I do you know? So I, I was actually talking to. So what I just mentioned, I was talking about this to someone the other day, and I, I might have mentioned it on the pod before. You never ever recreate the feeling of do, seeing something first or doing your favorite thing for the first time so if you can you imagine the first time you ever looked down the lens of a camera and created something and the buzz you you got or yeah for me the first time i think about um i don't know like uh pl- playing guitar or something i'm like oh this is amazing Do you like, know what i was gonna say was you know at uni when you have one really good night out at one club and then everyone's like oh let's go there it'd be like that night and it's never yeah. the same you just it's never you, you never reach the high you, you've basically made a memory rose tinted glasses and all that stuff and then you're trying to live to something that was never really happened anyway it's just you built up a memory and expectation yeah. of jurassic park and mo- no, do you know what star wars is prime example of this it's got a lot of that it's like you elevate it to a point that's never attainable and then when you and then suddenly you watch back the original and you go huh that's what i made all the fuss over and that's yeah. not to disrespect it but as you know as a kid i consumed jurassic park and star wars so much i, I can't even you know and all the, yeah. you know by the way very clever that spielberg learned off george lucas all the merchandise for jurassic park is shown in the actual jurassic park theme park yeah. within the film <laughs> so, so you're like funny. i want it i want the lunchbox i want the t-shirt i want the works yeah um, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's horrendous. Hit me with the sub-question, because we need to talk about our link film. So the sub-question is, best dino kill in any Jurassic Park movie? Oh, all of them? Uh, yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm going to be really, really controversial. I'm going to do the same. Whoa, you're going to be controversial. I'm going to... I think you might probably... say the same one as me otherwise, so I'm yeah, going to skip. I, I think, think I am. I'm pretty sure for what you're going to say, so I'm going to go something, go for something different. In the most recent Jurassic Park, there is a dinosaur which... Don't ask why, and this is why the series has gone nuts. It's a dinosaur where if you put a laser target on somebody, it will go and kill them. Is that right? Or it... does do cats not do that with laser pens? You know, if you shine a laser pen on the floor, it jumps. It jumps at the laser pen. I'm pretty sure they stole that from cats. Well, anyway, there's a dinosaur. I've forgotten the name of it. It's like an Indominus, but it's not. It's like a smaller version of the Indominus from the one before. And basically, he uh, they there's a horrible character in the film who like takes the teeth out of dinosaurs when he kills them. And, and as, as the audience, you just want him to get killed off and the tracker gets put on him. So the dinosaur gets him in the cage and just absolutely goes for him. And it's a really good scene. I mean, Excellent. It's, it's one of those where that film, excuse me, there's a lot of things I don't like about that film, but I actually like, uh, it's the same director as the orphanage and there's some horror bits in the house at the end stuff with the little girls. Quite cool. Orphanage is great. And I mean, my two favorite, uh, two favorite kills that I only because I've I can only really recently remember them is the spitting in the man's face, the yellow man uh, uh, with the yellow jacket. Nedry. Hate him. Hate him. Uh, that that scene's really good. And yeah, the man getting eaten off the toilet. And I was going to say the toilet man, but I literally remember as a kid, my mum being like, you can't just keep watching Jurassic Park. And I'd be like, yeah, but the man on, on the toilet gets eaten. And it's just great. <laughs> you know, Hilarious. 
Well, uh, that and that and that's it. So, for, well, that's it for Jurassic Park. So hold your horses. Jamie, before we discuss the Link film, I think we need to share the budget as we just talked about budget for those other films. What was the budget? So the budget for this next film was £3.3 million. And doesn't it look stunning? <laughs> for the time it was released, it looks unbelievable. And I couldn't quite believe it. And before we hype it up anymore, we are talking about Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. They're coming! They're coming! I just wanted to ask you because I've obviously seen this film before and I would say this is the first time I've chosen both films or at least chosen the recommendation. I don't know. Sorry, the link. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the first time. Yeah, it's the first time you've chosen both, I think. Jamie. And I, I fully ignored your... like your choice didn't (laughs) i as well which is funny so basically i I, you know jamie said oh you really should pick some because you haven't picked any for age i i literally picked seven which was a long time ago and then jamie's like you really should pick something you know so i was like yeah uh, let's do jurassic park uh jurassic park and the birds they're both feature uh, i'll say it again they're both creature features uh they're both like talked about as like big budget special effects movies Let's talk about it. And then you were like, yeah, yeah, great. Two days later, oh, Johnny, I've got a really good link film for Jurassic Park. And it's like, oh, the, the one week I've selected. So I've, I've just been shot down. You were like, no, no, I didn't remember. I didn't remember. I was like, he definitely remembers. I just didn't want to watch my selection. Gen- genuinely didn't remember. Um, yeah. I'm not going to tell you the link film, but we'll, we'll cover it on another episode because it's a okay. really fun, important film. And yeah, well, I'll mention it on the, I'll, I'll reference this episode back when I mention the episode. Right. First of all, synopsis, the birds, Jamie, go. Oh, God, it's me. Right, okay, <laughs> so um, it's about a woman called Melanie Daniels. She base- enjoys, like, she-, she has, like, some, like, weird altercation with a man in a bird shop. Um, he's, like, an attorney. It's in San Francisco. And basically, she follows him to where he goes on the weekend bearing a gift of uh two lovebirds upon her arrival the it seems that the birds in the place that she's gone to go bodega bay i believe it's called um the Correct. place where she's got yeah well, thank you um the place where she goes like the bird population are a bit crazy like a bit weird she gets she gets attacked by one and then suddenly the people in the town they face like a massive onslaught of birds <laughs> and it's- yeah they they start attacking people all over this this Bay Area, and it's it's just bizarre, really. So, can a little background on this? So, this was immediately after Psycho, so that's why we're at in Hitchcock's career, and he had his TV uh, show at this point, and uh, Tippi Hedren got signed by uh, Hitchcock, and she thought she's the female lead in this film. She thought she was going to appear in Hitchcock's TV series in one of the episodes of the Hitchcock show. She had no idea she was going to get signed to be in The Birds. Now, the writer of the movie said well, they imagined this picture to be Cary Grant and Grace Kelly. Now, if you look at the two, the lead actor, of did. he looks very similar to who, Jamie? Yeah, he looks like exactly like Cary Grant. And she exactly. looks exactly like Grace Kelly. Yeah, I, I wish it was Grace Kelly, but Hitchcock... Beautiful people. Hitchcock was very upset at this point because Grace Kelly was too busy being the princess of Monaco rather than acting. And she he thought she was going to return for the, the film he did after this, which was Marnie. 
and she was all set to, but then people didn't want her to play the character because it's a controversial character, which I hope, I really do hope, we talk about the pod at another point. I'm Now we are allowed to see each other, Jamie, I want you to come over and watch Marnie. That would be really be awesome because I really like that film and it's kind of, I for me, the last one of Hitchcock's that I really enjoyed. I mean, Frenzy I, I kind of enjoy, but yeah, it's the last of that classic era for me. Well, it's it's one of, and yeah, exactly. It's one of the ones that um, he, well, I don't know what I was going to say there, but yeah. Um, I'm intrigued. So am I. You I, scratched I really that beard. Was, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what I was going to say. So, well, uh, let me ask you, what did you make of The bird? So I, I admit, for, like for me, I think it's one of those films that it's very light on plot. Let's be completely honest. It's light on plot. But in terms of uh, the, the, uh, Writer described it as a screwball comedy, which is the scene you just described at the start, that okay. turns into a horror. Now, Hitchcock described it as a nightmare. And we talked about Drive, which is a dream which becomes a nightmare. And this film, uh, Hitchcock said North by Northwest was like a nightmare. He also said the same thing about To Catch a Thief. It's all these people. And they say, oh, the scenarios, are, uh, the interviewer said, the scenario is really vivid. And he said, yeah, that's the thing about a nightmare. They are vivid, you know? Right. Okay. So... This so for me, this it starts off. It's got no score at the beginning. Obviously, there is a score because we know old Bernard Herman's on, on his on his game as usual. But it starts off with no score, and I'm like, right, this this the way this has started off. It's very much like a horror film. Um, fully start. I'm I'm expecting it to be a horror film, and you just mentioned uh, Scribble comedy, which is actually like I I'm so glad you said that, and I'm so glad that's how it's been described because there was many, many moments when I thought it was really funny. Like there was really funny moments. She's driving in the car, the birds are moving from side to side. Dead funny. Um, there's there's, there's uh, some of the dialogue's really funny. It is a little bit light on plot. Like it, why, why is it two hours? Why is it two hours? It, it could have quite easily been 90 minutes. I, I I think it's a case of it reminding me of original Alien, though. It's you're building up for the first hour for something, and then when it happens, it's relentless. So there's a lot of build-up of getting to Bodega Bay and finding out what the problem is with the birds. And then once we get to kind of the schoolhouse attack... I mean, oh, that's a bit of a plot spoiler, really. But anyway, I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, no, no, we, we don't we know, on it. I mean, we know the birds are attacking people. Uh, yeah, okay. So once we get to kind of the Bodega Bay school attack, it's kind of relentless from there. What amazes me in the birds is the fact that there's no blue screen, and the special effects look amazing. Like, what did you think of the special effects? And I'm intrigued. Before I message you, did you have any idea of how they were done? Um, so, no. Well, I text you actually, like. Towards the end of the film, I was clueless. So I was like, right, are people being pecked? Are there real yes. birds? Are, like, I don't know. Are, is there any animatronics? I don't get it. The one thing I did notice was there was a scene where Tippy Hedron's running away with loads of school kids, and then the birds come along the screen, and there's an outline of blue or some kind of outline around the birds. So I was like, right. I mean, it still looks really, really good. I can't believe it's 1963, by the way. And I want to I, I want to just mention, I will reference afterwards. I'm going to let you go into what the process was. And then I'll mention another film after that was in the same year that you go back and look at these side to side and you will, it will blow your mind. So really weirdly, Hitchcock was looking for a way for the birds to be in the film. So they used numerous things. They had actual trained birds who could do certain things. To get the birds to peck people, they'd have um, have like really thin 
pieces of lining and stuff and what they'd have is have food on the end so they peck at those bits or they tie the birds so they couldn't fly away from the people so the no birds way. would genuinely attack them because they couldn't fly away now it, it by the way cruel in places i was gonna say we need we ought to be clear that if it was now i don't think a lot of it would fly excuse the pun it looks there's it, so there were some really for me there were some really horrible bits and i was sort of sitting there cringing i was like i hope that's not real because they're, they're, they are like really beating up the birds a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, that's why, that's when I text you. I'm like, by the way, are these real birds? Yeah. So there are scenes where they are real. There's scenes where they're not. There's some scenes with matte paintings that are really cleverly used. So what they did is okay. they'd have a matte painting or a fake bird and then put a real bird between every four and your eye would see light movement and be like, oh, they're all real because those ones are moving. Well, actually it's just right. a trick of the eye. This is a really good film that to watch on the projector because it's like you will then spot all this stuff which you've read the behind the scenes. Okay. That and try and pick it out and they they did things like they had the birds have magnets on their feet to make them stick so they couldn't fly away which is quite nasty but you know this oh, no. so you know there's a scene where they appear one by one and they're building and they're building they're building that's how right. they did that so oh right yeah, okay yeah so that scene right so so um listeners go and watch the film like it's definitely I didn't really love it. Like it was, it was good, really good. Um, and it was, it's astounding. It's a really good pairing. And the reason for that is because both films have ground breaking special effects for me. And that's where I would, yeah, they're both monster movies. They're both creature features, but they're both really astounding groundbreaking special effects for that time. And so the, there is a bit there where Tippi Hedren, she's sitting on a bench smoking and there's children singing and there's no score and it it kind of leads you into like it's a eerie. false sense of security. Yeah, really, really da, creepy. Da, 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 yeah, that's it. Yeah. And you're thinking, and it's hold on, over what? and over this and over again. Hitchcock film. What? You know, it feels like ages. It feels like literally five five minutes. Um, and it leads you into that false sense of security because they these birds are on like a children's climbing frame. You can hear children singing, and so it's like quite a creepy moment. And more and more birds gather, and then yeah, they they attack. But I'm just I'm astounded by like the the special effects and how it looks. And so much like Jurassic Park was groundbreaking for its use of CGI, this film was using an effect that had existed before that was actually owned by Disney. So Disney had done it for films previously, and it's it's called the sodium vapor process. Now. This is essentially when you use a certain kind of lights against a yellow screen and these lights are on a part of the spectrum that the human eye can barely detect and there's like a prism in a lens so you get the elements against this yellow backdrop and then kind of like blue screen but rather than comping out the blue it literally just chemically removes what would have been there in the backdrop and then they can overlay that on top of the um the the footage from uh from set or from location and so it's kind of like a green screen it's very much like that but the reason it's better it's like a screen on screen yeah the reason it's better is because with green screen there's a loss of detail on edges and for some reason the sodium vapor process just didn't have this because as you said although you can see the line around the birds on that scene it's still a sharp line whilst if it was actually on blue or green screen that would have fuzzed because at every frame it moved it would be hard to get it it would look like an old episode of doctor who so yeah the process behind it is staggering and they never done it to that volume before when they did it on the birds so the fact they got away with it is incredible and i urge anybody honestly as jamie said it's quite plot light i try and view it 
stick with it because it is it's a, it's a slower burn. I can't say otherwise. It, ta- it takes. So a- I I actually preferred the first hour. Which really? you're going to find crazy, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. because I really love the relationship building and stuff. And then the last hour, when it all goes crazy and when you do actually see all the action, um, it, I, I find it I found it less involving. Like, um, That's Yeah, I just found the first hour really fascinating because I, love the di- I did love the dialogue. I want to share one scene which has stuck with me, which is a semi-spoiler, but I won't say which character it is. But there is a scene where Hitch shows the aftermath of an attack remember we always talk about it's not always seeing it's like the aftermath oh Uh, yeah so we talked about in great detail when we did the episode on seven how people went mad about how violent the film was and actually when you look back at it it's the aftermath you see and your brain imagines the worst case scenario you don't really see anything of anything now in the birds we see a character let's just say with their eyes pecked out and we see a, a character walk in, find this, and it does a close... It goes one, two, three, zoom, 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 in on the eyes with the eyeballs removed from their sockets. And what it, eyes? And it's literally like, as a human, if you were looking over, your reaction would be, duh, duh, duh. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's yeah. the way you yeah, perceive yeah. it. And it's amazing. For a 63, you, it's brutal. You don't see gore like that um in in that era like it's the amount of blood the amount of gore in that era like yeah it was i this is the first thing i I thought like i I literally again i wrote like for a film made in the 1960s brutal man with his eyes pecked out you don't see that kind of gore back then at all so it's really difficult to really say as the film is so plot light it's very difficult to say much else without getting into too many spoilers so i'm actually going to leave it here i think we've got some questions but what i would say is I'm really pleased with the pairing this week because these are two brilliant films. I think Jurassic Park is going to be the more popular one, and that's absolutely fine. But I love Hitch. He's the master of suspense. Watch what he did with a crazy horror film about birds. It's Ace. And watch a guy literally invest himself in... It wasn't a brand new technology, but use it in a way to such a degree that it hadn't before. And yeah it is it is as we said a creature feature and it's i still think it's a very good one and i hope i hope you enjoyed it joey because i know it's the first time you watched it and yeah no like i did i did enjoy it like and i, I really enjoy hitchcock style in general like, he's got a really specific look to all of his films i 100%. think like even the costume even the costume design so tippy hedrin what she was wearing really reminded me of some of the the clothes um in dilemma for murder really specific colour palettes he uses. And North by North by Northwest, some very similar to um forgotten the lady's name. It's not Grace Kelly, it's the character before, but you know exactly who I mean, who's with Carrie Grant in that film. Yeah, I do. I'm, I yeah. can't remember off the top of my head. She was also <laughs> in um the fighting film on the Doctor Marlon Brando, which we discussed and I've forgotten the name of oh, as well. On the waterfront. On the waterfront. Oh, she was in that goodness. as well, was she not? So, my golly gosh, what a good film. Anyway uh, Yeah. So Ooh, no no um no sorry just before you before you leave if you are gonna watch the birds also have a look at jason and the argonauts which was the same year using stop motion before jamie says anything else dad i'm really sorry because i know you love jason and the argonauts and Mm. i as a kid also thoroughly enjoyed it no 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 so let's not take anything away from that right okay i really really like jason and the argonauts as well because i also watched it as a kid and it the stop motion uh, skeletons are amazing and I don't care if they look janky. That's the point. They look great. No, it's not the point um, because it look, back then, 
the difference between the birds and the yes fair enough um jason and the argonauts was one million pound budget the the difference in those two uh it's, it'd be interesting for anyone to look at the difference in the processes so look at the difference in stop between stop motion and your boy uh whatever the processing was what would, would you call it sodium vapor there we go sodium vapor from the man himself um right okay so we have a couple of questions just to end the pod not many actually so i did forget a question that we got asked about jurassic park go for it um so kim cinema escape again um at what age did you realize jeff goldblum's character was probably the smartest one there do you know what not a joke character i registered this at 28 years old because i hadn't seen jurassic park for a long time was that um yesterday yes yeah, <laughs> honestly, no, 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 I hadn't watched it. You know, Jurassic Park was one of those films I watched so much as a kid that I didn't then revisit for years. I remember the first day I had my projector, I think I watched it with my dad, actually. But I was kind of, you know, when you're not really watching the film, you're like, look how amazing it is. Look how the picture looks like. Look how big it is. Yeah, like, I just yeah, really, look I, how sharp it is. Yeah, I was so, like, not watching the film. I was just, like, buzzing. So, honestly, yeah. this time round, and I listened to every conversation he had, the whole man versus create well man versus god you want to go that deep it's it's you know it was it's great i i really enjoyed it and it made me actually realize there's more layers well there was a complaint at the times that there was little characterization in jurassic park but i thought there's actually quite a lot of layers to it if you want to delve uh, into absolutely it absolutely like yeah i don't know how about you who said that um uh, well wednesday night <laughs> i'm glad you said ago. the same thing uh, because yeah like I, I i hadn't seen it in a long long time do you know what though like when we were watching it before were we looking for that no and uh, when you're older maybe you um, look for I, different things i just wasn't a, i just wasn't the biggest fan so i didn't really care i'll be honest and i'm and i'm still not like again i, I will just i, I do want to finish on just saying jurassic park i appreciate the film i still don't quite understand why everyone is obsessed with it um, and it's everyone's favorite. A lot, not everyone's favorite film. It's, it's it won three Oscars. It was the highest grossing film of all time um, until Titanic. Um, five years later, Avatar. I don't know what to say. Do you know what I'd it's, say though? In lesser hands of a different director, it could have been really bad. It really, really could have been bad. Even with all the love for dinosaurs, Spielberg no. is a master. Like. That's the thing I took away from it, and I forgot because I'm like, why do I not like Jurassic World as much? Why do I not like Jurassic Park Three as much? Why do I not like? I thought it's you don't think about, or maybe I didn't think about as much when I was younger, the craft in Spielberg's direction and the energy. Spielberg is a master. It's amazing. I I think Spielberg. Like people, I've heard a lot of talk about people saying Spielberg's past his prime, like he hasn't done anything good in years. Get real. Can you please just like if you compare any Spielberg like like the post like can you pick, compare any Spielberg film with anything most new directors have done and the, the, it'll be night and day. Do you know what it's like though? It's like you know we we once joked off air on the pod that even bad Hitchcock is still better than most things from that era. And you know you're right. You're and right. I, I think Spielberg is the, is very much the same. It's like oh, it's not a great Spielberg. It's like yeah, but it's still. A damn it's still better sight. than most. Uh, it's like, still better. It's still know, like it's still be really good film. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, absolutely right. So um, we've got a couple of questions off topic, but that's good because we are done with the topic. So 
uh, views by Quinn. He writes in and says, any crazy movie theatre stories? Uh, John, do you have any crazy movie theatre story- stories? I really don't. <laughs> I'm very, really? Right, very, okay. Very so, uninteresting. Uh, yeah. We live in Birmingham. Actually, like, do you know, be no. like some like you know crazy, what? crazy stories. I've thought of one. When me, Ben, and Pete went with uh, my dad and my granddad to go and watch Tarzan, n- uh, we had to be. Rem- You'll be in my heart. Excellent. Sorry, I just uh, yeah. love Phil Collins. <laughs> uh, the cinema's fire alarm went off. And we had to leave, and we were really annoyed. But Ben and Pete so were buzzing crazy, because That's po- so crazy because Pokemon were showing into the screen and they weren't really showing Tarzan so we got to see Pokemon <laughs> and they were so happy that we got to go and see Pokemon and my dad and granddad were just like oh like how have we got to sit through this again because they'd obviously already seen it with us I want to be yeah no, so happy so days. there's me jo- like like being like oh that's so interesting and actually it's no 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 it was really good <laughs> the end it made me really laugh so um tell me yours well not really very good ones so I guess the one of note was that, and and please leave me alone, people that love Fast and Furious, because I don't need to know which specific Fast and Furious it was. Anyway, I went to the cinema to see one one of the Fast and Furious films with an XXXXX girlfriend. Um, I don't know how many times I said X, but that's probably not how many girlfriends I've had. Not like that. Do you know what I mean? One girl guy. You know me. Uh, anyway... So I was at the cinema watching Fast and Furious and literally just before the end, I'm, I'm so sorry if I've spoiled this for you. Just before the end, some guy behind is like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's Vin Diesel. And it was one of the Fast and Furious where Vin Diesel wasn't in there. Oh, he wasn't, he's not been in the film at all. Um, but yeah, so someone ruined the end of uh, maybe Tokyo Drift. Um, then the only other ones I really have are just of people... Crazy, crazy cinema. Okay, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you the craziest cinema experience. I went to see Captain Marvel, um, which was rubbish. And really, this is I cra- enjoy Captain Marvel. Rubbish. So this is a <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit is, down. This is crazy to me. This and and when you say crazy movie theater experiences, this is crazy. I was watching Captain Marvel. Everyone in front on the, on the row in front of me had their phones out filming Captain Marvel and being on their phone the whole time. And that's crazy to me. That's the craziest movie experience I ever have all of the time. Do you know what? I've just thought of a movie experience, which actually is quite funny, but it's not funny. You know, when Avengers Endgame, was it Endgame? Or the one? Infinity War came out. Infinity War came right. out and I went to see it and it was about a week in and I was still in Melbourne. And there was a kid who obviously loved Marvel I'd obviously seen the film multiple times already and he quoted the first 15 minutes of the film every single line before it happened on screen and then would be like so happy with himself do Did the next line the outback? and the next line no that's miles away from there just so you know anybody who's not good at geography uh yeah it just went on <laughs> on and on and i remember thinking if this kid does see the whole film i don't think i can cope i'm just gonna have to leave and come back another time because i just can't deal with this but it just yeah. in hindsight it was quite funny but he obviously just loved it and i think he was like i don't know what he was but he was a kid do you know what i mean he was just a kid who absolutely loved it to the point where i'm gonna let everyone know how much i love this i know every line yeah i mean <laughs> it'd been a week so just, i thought how many times have you seen this exactly and, and that to probably be honest, that's a lot a parenting issue 
Like that's quite clearly a parenting issue. I the I mean I've had a pigeon in the cinema before. Quinn, the only other like I don't have really much else to tell you apart from telling people to shut up because they're always very loud most of the time. And then you have sent in another question. Thank you so much. And this is one that will definitely spark debate. Share some of your guys' unpopular opinions. Easy. Right, John. Oh, easy, is it? Yeah. Alien Free is the best alien. Oh, I wasn't going to go down that route today. I was going to say... Okay, cool. My, <laughs> <laughs> I could go on that tangent, but I won't. No, I was going to say my most known and popular opinion is I'm a massive defender of Zack Snyder and I think Zack Snyder is an author and I'm not saying this to wind people up I genuinely believe that he's really underrated and he's probably going to retire at some point and we will look back and think wow here's a real visual stylist who actually had a really different idea and we just weren't ready for it and then in 20 years time it'll be reevaluated, and people will say actually he was really good at the moment it's fun to bash him and we're like oh yeah he's, he's terrible in this and i don't think it's fun to bash him in any way i don't know so i'm fully with do. you I, th- I believe you i 100 percent with you and do you want to hear another one i think batman v superman's a good film and i will die on that hill i don't care i know why people don't like it i know people think it's too negative and negative representation of superman and batman i don't care i enjoy it i guess everyone knows um my unpopular opinion is that i'm uh, like exhausted from superheroes i've got superhero fatigue um i hate disney um with a passion to the point of where i'm not even going to see disney films in the cinema anymore ouch just just as like just because i've always to- i've always been told vote with your wallet listen to this guys if you're not happy with something or you don't like something, don't give them any money. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm, I won't go to see Cruella. I won't go and see nothing Disney because they are they are controlling everything. And yeah, I'm just not interested. Just so you know, that, that's it. That's it. We're done. We are done. It's been a long episode. Johnny, how long? Uh, 127 minutes, which isn't that bad for us these days. Oh, that's a shame. I was trying to get it longer because I've had the longest edits. So, oh, no, I'm joking. He's talked the most this episode. and I have. Rightly so, because I had my Scream episode. He's had his little Jurassic Park episode. And next episode, it's we're going to be doing some Hannibal, uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I'm, j- I'm joking. We're not, we are really. not. I'm joking. You wouldn't like that. Oh, no, no. I'm just going to play you. A very quick jingle, which gives a hint about what's happening next week. It's Jimmy's game, Jimmy's game about Hitchcock. It's gonna make you look stupid on the pod, stupid on the pod, in front of about 100 of our listeners. Well, <laughs> there you go. Um, I decided to write a jingle for a game that we're playing last week. No, not last week. Uh, we're playing. We're, we're playing a game next week. Um, I wrote a jingle for it, and there it was. Um, it's terrible, but in a good way. Like I'm, I'm, I did it to be terrible. So there you go. Um, and and actually, on that episode, you may get to hear uh, a, a review of Benjamin Button via the medium of music again. So there we go. Um, thanks so much. As per usual, you can write in to at movies in a nutshell um on instagram which is me or you can write in at 
at jcb.video. That's all right, I'll do it for you. <laughs> you just sit, he's checked out. That's it, he's checked out. You can write in at, at jcb.video. Um, or alternatively, just like some of our viewers, you can, we've, we have a, a Gmail. You can write into our at moviesinapodshell at gmail.com. There you go. Send in your questions. Let us know what you think. And thank you so much. As per usual, see you later. I don't know why that. What was that? That was like a like corn, like I was from Cornwall. I'm gonna stop recording there.